Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film, and this year's podcast media partner for the Dead Center 2023 Film Festival. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today, ladies and gentlemen, we made it. Another successful Dead Center. Uh, amazing teamwork from Daniel Bokemper and Joe Light over at The Cinematropolis. We are wrapping down today's conversation by looking back at the highlights, including some of our favorite films and some of the things we wrote or podcasted about. So today I'm going to be sitting down with the Cinematropolis team, which again includes Daniel Bokemper and Joe Light. We're also going to be talking with two of our very good friends from the Good Trash Media team. It's the Good Trash Genre cast. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, this year's festival experience before exchanging notes on uh, some of our favorite films. And then we're going to close out by just thinking about our favorite moments of the festival overall. Joining me today, returning to me, I should say, the man, the legend, He's got, yeah, just double checking, biggest beard in the room. <laughs> Daniel Bo Kemper, contributor here at the Cinematropolis and Flick Attack. Daniel, welcome back. Happy to come back to you, Caleb. Uh. <laughs> right in the dead center of this dang podcast. And that's <laughs> it's probably the funniest I'm gonna get. Oh, I should I drop that? I should drop that halfway through the podcast. Yeah. Drop what? Yeah, you said dead center of the mm-hmm. podcast, so I've got to drop mm-hmm. it in the middle. Yeah, you mm-hmm. must. Yeah. And double yeah. it, honestly. Yeah. Legally required. <laughs> Uh, well, Daniel, uh, as always, pleasure to have you on the show, and thank you for your hard work at this year's Dead Center. Oh, of course, it is always a tremendous amount of fun. Also joining us, she is uh, contributing to the Cinematropolis for Dead Center, but she's also an editor at Static Media. This is the, uh, also known as the website that owns Slash Film. Joe Light. Joe, welcome back. Hi. Glad to be here. Thank Thanks you so much for everything you did at Dead Center this year. No, it was so fun. It was great. It was motivating, because uh, otherwise I don't get out very much, so it was good to be there. <laughs> Nothing like a film festival to get all of us off of the couch. To get the damn cinephiles out of their homes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, the next guest, he really needs no introduction to steal uh, a line from David Letterman. You've already heard his voice, the beautiful dulcet tones of the Good Trash Genre cast co-host, also the Good Trash Media co-founder, Dalton Stewart. Dalton, welcome to the show. Hey, Caleb. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us, man. I'm so excited. And thank you for your, all your hard work. I'm not dead center, and I know we don't... Re- Technically, you fall into the same publication, but you worked hard. You guys were hustling recaps out every day, a couple times a day sometimes. Great work. Thanks, man. Yeah, we, we tried our best. And last but certainly not least, this is the first time this person has ever joined us as not the subject, but yet a voice amongst the reviewers and the critics. Uh-huh. I'm talking, of course, about Alex Sanchez, who this year is a Good Trash Genre cast, Dead Center 2023 contributor. But also, listeners will know him because he's a comedian and he's a star of many films, uh, including the upcoming Bugman. You were last featured, I believe it was the Arrows of Outrageous Fortune interview, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you so much. Great to be back. I give a, I love all of you, but I haven't talked to Alex in a while. That's so, right. So, so, Alex, tell me, how have you been? How's life? Oh, boy. I mean, who knows? Uh, life's been OK. I've been uh, I've, I've gotten a lot. I've done a lot of movies since Arrows. Um, lately I've been, you know, I've got Bugman coming out. I had a great time at dead center. I've been getting it back out and doing comedy more. Um, I, I took a big hiatus as did we all from leaving my house. And so I'm just now getting good at comedy again. Uh, <laughs> other than that, not a ton going on. Listen, you never lost it, man. Let's be Thank real. You. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> Uh, in fact, when we were in the so we were in the Hell Hath No Fury uh, screening, same screening for Hell Hath No Fury together, 
And it brought the biggest smile on my face to hear your laugh. That sounds so dumb, but you just have such a distinct laugh. And I'm, when I'm in the movie theater and I, I hear your laugh, I'm like, this, this was, that means this was funny. Good job. I appreciate that. I'm glad that I don't think of myself as a discerning laugher though. Well, if it makes you laugh, the way you laugh brings joy to me. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So discerning Alex, or not. Alex's laugh brought a lot of joy to the people of Dead Sitter. This is not the first time it came up. I uh, got, yeah, I heard uh, people said it to me enough that I became self-conscious. Yeah. No, it was it, fine. It was fine. Was it Taylux? Was, it was, it was like one of the filmmakers yeah. at the comedy shorts was like, great laugh, dude. Yeah. It was very funny. <laughs> Hey, listen, you know what? Seth Rogen just got cast as Donkey Kong purely based on his laugh. So I'm just yeah, saying that's, that's not true. a bad, not a bad skill to have. Distinctive laugh. Mm -hmm. Something. So listeners, before we get into today's dead center focused conversation, firstly, if you are listening to the show today and you've enjoyed this conversation or our previous or maybe you haven't heard our previous conversations and you're just trying to get the dead center highlights, make sure to support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app, most specifically Apple and Spotify. There was a guy on a recent review who called us pretentious. And, you know, I'm all Come about on. taking I'm, I'm, it's cool. It's cool. No, it's like negative reviews are fine. I, what I'm saying, though, listeners, if you actually enjoy the show and you've always been like, man, I should probably go and rate the show. I got to counter set that negative yeah. review. So you got to you got to bring me the five stars to offset the one star. And he, it was literally just shrugs emoji. I'm in Oklahoma and this should be cool. This is pretentious. One star. <gasps> Come so on. stay mad, hater, which yeah, is fine. I, I don't want him listening to us. Any genuinely, I, I don't want him yeah. listening to us anyway. But also and for those I'll, of you who if do he is listening, if you're listening, turn it off right now <laughs> or I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've said the word turd on this podcast before. Therefore, we're not pretentious. A strong uh -huh. argument. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, they must have listened to our Bo is Afraid conversation. Yeah. Uh, oh. That's probably the most pretentious we've gotten on this show in a while. I mean, it was a great I listen, I stand by it, but it was definitely the most like film academia adjacent. I wouldn't say film academia, but, but film academia adjacent type conver analysis sure. conversation we've had in a while. Sure. But whatever. Having a film, film professor, professor on will that does help. That'll do, do it. That. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. James is a treasure. Take your one stars and shove more of the sun shine, you know, that mm -hmm. good stuff. <laughs> Uh, okay, so listeners, another programming announcement. So we, you've, you've probably noticed if you are subscribed, we've been putting out a lot of Dead Center coverage. I think we, we're going to have roughly around, if I'm counting right, I think it's 11, maybe 12 interviews uh, in total, or at least episodes. Uh, so hey, that means after this episode, we're taking a little breather for a few weeks, roughly a month. We're not going to be back in June, which I know is crazy. There's a lot of big movies in June. There's a Flash movie. There's a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, he's saying Flash with the air quotes. A lot of big movies. Uh, big movies was what was in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. I guess Asteroid City. Uh, okay, but, well, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Box office wise, yeah, big yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. The one I definitely am more interested in is Asteroid City. Definitely. Pretentious. Guys, Tom Hanks is going to be in a Wes Anderson movie. I'm so good, happy. Pretty, pretty, happy. Good. pretty dope. Um, pretty good. Pretty uh, we also, you know, you got uh, Elementals coming out. Um, we've got Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which you know, that's anyone's guess because I like the fourth one more than most yeah. people. So, that, you know, I might like this one, too. Who knows? We'll see. I'll only like it if they bring back Mutt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. This is a side tangent, but yeah. I have to bring it up because I, I tweeted this whenever the first check came out. Do you think they acknowledge Mutt at all? Is it a passing reference to he was a great son and then he died and then move on? Or is it he never existed and they don't acknowledge him? I'm genuinely curious about how they do it. <sighs> okay, so I just rewatched four for the genre cast, and I'm thinking it's going to be similar to how they just like show a picture of Sean Connery. Yep. You know, maybe Mutt's like, you know, died in 
Vietnam or something. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Or I don't know. Could be. He's off on his own adventures. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He had a midlife Finding crisis. Finding himself, uh, converting to Catholicism, talking to John Bernthal. Yeah. You know. <laughs> he like moved Really away. doing the work. He makes a tallow disco now or something. Yeah. <laughs> That would be great if they wrote that. I mean, probably not for the viewers, but it, that would be kind of funny if they wrote and uh, he just had a midlife crisis and started going on talk shows. We don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do we think about those movies? Well, don't worry. We're going to be back with a Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning review. And if we are not able, I promise this is a promise to listeners, if we are not able to do a kind of like catch up episode before that, we will do a really quick rapid fire thumbs up, thumbs down at the beginning of the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 Best Movie Title of the Summer uh, episode. Lastly, uh, hey, I'm going to be attending Oklahoma's largest pop culture convention, SoonerCon, on Friday, June 30th, and Saturday, July 1st. So for those listeners who are not familiar, SoonerCon is a collaborative, 100% volunteer, organized effort backed by the 501c3 nonprofit Future Society of Central Oklahoma. Sounds like they paid me to say that. They didn't. Uh, the convention brings fans, creatives, academic professionals, artists, authors, musicians, small and large businesses, and community together, uh, community members together in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be on some panels. Not sure which ones yet. More updates. Uh, follow us on Twitter at The Cinematrop and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. All right. Let's get to the real important stuff, though. Dead Center. Sorry for all those programming announcements. Pesky. Those are not about Dead Center. We're here to talk about Dead Center 2023, the film festival that was. And, and I, just a general question for you guys, you know, was this sort of the return to to form for Dead Center as it existed pre-pandemic? And what I mean is I had, despite giving the festival tons of coverage over the last three years, I actually have not attended anything in person other than the drive-in movies since 2019. I, had, I was going to go last year, but had uh, got COVID right before the festival and wasn't able to oh. attend, uh, which... Yeah, anyway, I guess I dodged a bullet. Sure. Uh, but yeah, COVID round two, I guess, but whatever. Um, so it's kind of surreal going to this year where it felt like everything was like it's old school. We're back at the Harkins, yeah. centralized Harkins Bricktown, mm-hmm. MOA, Oklahoma City Museum of Art. And then, um, uh, oh, they did this year was uh, First American Museum, which was not in the 2019 and pre iteration, but they had sprinkled in throughout the pandemic along with several other venues. They did not choose to, to use this year. So it's a long way of saying is that's in our back guys, Daniel, I'm throwing it to you first. Yeah, I think so. I will say, uh, not to foo foo all of the, the high attendance that it had, but like I did, I, I attended last year and it was kind of nice to be at a theater of like three, maybe four people. And have, you know, someone like Sunrise to Bakani, like actually yeah. forward the film. And he is so good at. Oh, Sunrise is a rock star at He's introing so cool. films and, yes. and asking audience and questions or uh, filmmaker community. I just like I feel like I just followed him around because I just, and not intentionally, but I just ended up winding up at like consistently the movies that he was presenting. And to have that this was a very personalized experience kind of felt like Nicole Kidman in the uh, AMC <laughs> commercials, mm-hmm. like a little bit. Uh, Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Yeah, yeah it really does. It really does. But Sunrise, if you're listening to this. I want to see that trailer. Can we make that happen? I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll find the people to film it. Let's do it. <sighs> you get Lauren to play Nicole Kidman too. She knows she has it. No, it needs to be Sunrise saying "Heartbreak" feels like. Oh, a like true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that would make more sense. But yeah, I I think it's it is a return to form in a lot of ways, and and yeah, despite the the packed crowds, it's actually what makes it kind of fun and feel special, and it's kind of a reminder that this is an actual film festival here because. You know, unfortunately, due to circumstances, when you do go to 
you know, sparsely attended theaters and things like that. It's, it, it's hard to believe that that many people care other than the people who are there, um, or the people watching at home, whoever that may be, I'm going to assume that was probably not quite as high of a, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how well the digital festival did. To be honest, last year, I know there's a little bit of that this year. I don't know specifically, but, but I can say there were definitely several people I talked to who were like, oh, I'll just watch it at home on the, mm, the portal. Yeah. And and hopefully that did well. And, and people were still at the very least seeing the films that were presented here. But yeah, I, I do think it was a return to form. And I think also one thing that I didn't really get to experience was any Q&As last year. I just don't mm. think there were that many filmmakers. I, I feel like I saw one. Maybe. There weren't. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know the specific number, but I remember I was talking to Crystal Youssef, the head of marketing before the festival. She was like, yeah, filmmakers actually like there's been a few here and there in the previous years, but this year they're coming like they're coming back in much larger numbers than the previous two years. Yeah. But that's all to say is, you know, just two personal highlights for me um, that weren't about the films themselves or the films themselves, but Lily Gladstone and her uh, quantum Cowboys Q and a that we went to the second screening you and I um, and her to talk briefly um, about killers of the flower moon. So, so yeah, let's, let's pause for listeners who aren't familiar. Yeah. You don't, you might not know who Lily Gladstone is yet, but you're probably going to know who she is after this fall because she's probably going to be in talks for an Oscar having not, that's just total speculation based off of the buzz of her performance from yes. the Cannes screening, but she's like the top. She's got Oscar buzz. She's got Oscar buzz. Yeah. She's yeah. got Oscar buzz. Yeah. So uh, good to be able to sit in a, uh, you know, a relatively small theater at the Museum of Art and see mm. her talk about a film that isn't Killers of the Flower Moon, but then in a roundabout way, talk about Killers of the Flower no, Moon. No, in right. fact, and we'll talk about Quantum Cowboys. Yeah. Not only that, she was talking about stuff that I was like, holy shit. They don't. I love this. We're talking about quantum mechanics, alternate parallel yeah. realities animation, like all this stuff that you don't normally get. And what, what was wild uh, about it, and I, yes, I might have a slight crush on her after this weekend, is like, mm. she actually knows, that she's like, oh, I don't really know a lot about this, but would then proceed yes. to go really deep on <laughs> all that stuff. Explain it for 30 minutes. Doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I'm no expert, but if you read this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and actually, the director's the real, you know, guy who knows all the stuff, but um, here's quantum theory, and you're yeah. like, uh, whoa. Oh. Anyway. Yeah. Um, didn't mean to do with thunder. She was amazing. No, in the okay. And that was nice because it was an intimate enough Q&A that they had Sunrise left time for like three questions. Mm -hmm. And I was literally straight. I was like, I'm going to ask a question. But I was like, what? She answered every question I yeah. could ask before we got to the Q&A, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah. So, anyway, continue. No, not at all. But uh, that's all to say my second highlight involved a, another filmmaker, uh, Peter Sluska, and him talking about the uh, process of making his 30 minute uh, the 10 year process, I should say, to make his uh, 30 minute uh, stop motion short film Hard Boiled, which is a uh, play on the per excuse me, the police procedural. But it's all food uh, starring uh, the the primary detective duo is a uh, is a ham and eggs. I think. I'm yeah, so mad. I didn't go to yeah, the yeah it, it was good. Definitely catch it. I suspect there's going to be ways to find I this love thing stop motion it, it, so much. It's and this one is so good I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more but it, it it but it reminds me too especially hot off of uh phil tippett's mad god that yeah, yeah took like what 20 25 years maybe yeah. maybe a little no yeah. i think he was working on yeah, it he was it was at least 25 years yeah and it's like almost 30 i think yes and it's like and he was basically a skeleton crew i think phil tippett had maybe one other person periodically help him yep. and this guy was all by himself besides the voice acting and it's like yeah 10 years sounds about right for 30 minutes but it is so good and just to hear um, also just be so like 
like humble. He'd say that offhandedly, but then he would like go into the detail of what was the most fun things to actually make. And it's like, yes, this tower of angel food cake, this like angel food cake skyscraper I made took three years to completely wow. animate this one sequence and wow. get this all done. But it's like clearly enjoyed it. And right. like, yeah, it probably did bring him stress. But like at the same time, I don't know. It's like you, you actually get people in their enthusiasm about it. And sometimes when you see like online interviews, like not online, not our online but I mean like for stuff like IMDb and like stuff that's the more like kind of formulaic kind of what I would consider like boilerplate interviews you don't always see that that passion or you don't I don't know it's it's something about that and I think the intimacy of the film festival Q&A specifically you you get to see some filmmakers and performers as they're like genuine selves a little bit again I might be like providing a false reverence to it but but there is something to do with that intimacy of actually being there and then having the chance to actually ask them a question yourself. It's really good. But no. Oh, absolutely. Really, no, that's yeah. like that's one of the at least as a film goer, like that's one of the selling points for, uh, for me of a film festival is you're in the room with the people who made it. And yeah. They, and it, it goes both ways. I mean, at least for the filmmakers I talk to, they're like, oh, I get real feedback from people like yeah. and not saying like criticism, but like, hey, I, I get to hear what people are thinking about the movie in real time. Yeah. Evidence of people engaging in your art seems very validating and rewarding and i'm glad that we get to have that here so good to hear joel turn it to you uh how was your festival experience it was great it was abbreviated uh unfortunately i was out of town for part of it but uh what i did get to experience i do think felt like it was back to normal i mean as much as you can be uh i said to you earlier it was hot harkins is so hot i don't know why uh but that Again, it just felt like, yeah, let's wait in, in line in the sun and be sweating too much and then go inside and sweat some more. But, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> and I think I'll just d- echo what Daniel said. It's just like I think being in those settings is so inspiring. Um, it it sparks, at least for me, my creativity because there's people out there doing stuff and making stuff. And I'm like, ah, oh, I got to do it. I got I got to yeah. finish that script. I got to get with that friend and talk about these things. So. Um, that's what I always love about going to festivals is just seeing people doing really original work and, and just having that creative sort of juice start flowing and, and just being really inspired. So yeah, had a great time. Good Q and A's. I did miss that a lot. I mean, I do, like I said, I love a screener. I love to sit at home. I love to be multitasking, but I, I do also really like the theater going experience and, and you can't get that if you're not going to fests and, and seeing the Q and A's and feeling that energy. So yeah. I had a really great time. I think I would say to echo what you just said about the difference between the screener experience versus the um, in-theater experience is I did have via the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle, which you, Joe, Daniel, me are all members and Arthur Gordon from Good Trash Meet are all members of. We were part of the, um, the group that helped judge the Oklahoma feature films and short films. I am only mentioning that because that means we got advanced screener access. So I had seen, I saw Hell Hath No Fury. In fact, I found out when I was talking to people, I saw it before most of the cast had seen it. Oh. Um, so if you're yeah, <laughs> so watching at home, you're like, oh, wow. So you, we were one of the first ones to see it. And it was really good at home. Like Laura and I got together on the couch. We had a good old time. It's like 70 minutes, super fun. But I will tell you, like, and I don't know, I'll, I'll turn it over to Dalton and Alex here in a second. But like. Seeing it in a theater with a captivated audience, I mean, it, it took that movie up a few notches in terms sure. of the laugh, just laugh factor. The running gags hit harder, um, like the inner people would kind of feed off each other. You know, mm. again, theatrical experience making a huge difference there. Yeah. I messaged the Burnses about that that tripping gag because I loved it so much, but I'm sure it played so amazing in person. So, yeah, um, you can't get that if you're just 
at home with your dog like I was. Mm-hmm. It's just not quite the same. On that note, though, Dalton Stewart, how was your Dead Center experience this year? Pretty good. Uh, I had a fabulous time. Yeah. I mean, we haven't. I Well, um, Alex has gone, you know, several times over the last couple of years as, a, as an actor, but I haven't been uh, to cover it since 2017. Um, you know, I think I caught a couple of screenings. Uh, like individual screenings and maybe like 18 or 19. But yeah, I, I haven't been, uh, th- you know, through any of the, the the sort of pseudo pandemic years. Didn't go to any of those. And so, yeah, this is, you know, a big return for me. And I had a I had a great time doing what Alex called gonzo journalism, which basically just meant giving weed to fast programmers and filmmakers. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what? gonzo journalism, if you ask me. It was a great time, man. Um, and I, I can't wait to go b- again next year. It, it's, you know, as Daniel and Joe have both said, like, it's just nice to, to be in the room with people that made the thing and get to hear their thoughts on it, get to kind of bump bounce your thoughts about it off of them. Uh, you know, it's just nice to be somewhere where uh, the currency is talking about movies, you know, yeah. something I kind of know how to do, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, will always fall back on when I don't know how to relate to somebody. I'll start talking about it's, movies. It's and, the ultimate small talk. If you're like, yeah. it's like sports and movies and screw sports. So movies, right? But, but yeah, you're at a place where that's most of those people small talk too. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's great. And even the folks who aren't like, you know, have a, a deep well of, of knowledge or just like super jazzed about the fast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so whether it's, you know, you're talking to somebody that's more of a, a documentary person than a narrative person, like, you know, which happened to me this this over the weekend and I'm talking to somebody, you know, a documentary producer, not really into narrative and I'm more of a narrative enjoyer. So, you know, just talking about like sort of those differences. It's great stuff. Yeah. It's just nice to connect with people. And and if nothing else, you always like, what what movie are you a most excited to watch if it's the beginning of the festival or if you're towards the end? Hey, what have you watched that you really liked? Sure. Yeah, sure. You know, and like Easy. I, so many conversations and then you, it strikes up a natural conversation. The next thing you know, it's Saturday night at 1 a.m. and we're stuffing cold empire pizza down our throats talking to random strangers at a party post post after party after party. I don't know. Man, do you remember when they escorted all the pizzas out? So many pizzas. OK, so there <laughs> at the end Speaking of the of after it. party on Saturday night. There was a ton of leftover pizza, and the way that they got out, got it out of the building was by having uh, a big dolly of pizza, a big stack of, of pizzas that they wheeled out, and the stack of pizzas was escorted by no less than four full cops. That is not an exaggeration. <laughs> Literally four cops. Literally four cops. And while we're talking about this, yeah. Oklahoma City Police Department, make those fuckers wear pants. <laughs> I don't want to see a law enforcement officer's calves. No, thank you. Yeah, they were wearing like pretty short, pretty shorts. short yeah, they shorts. Were Don't shorts, show me those. Know, they shouldn't be. Yeah, they shouldn't be that comfortable. You know, <laughs> they were escorting pizza that people had already eaten at the party. Well, no, 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 no. Cold, wait, wait. full pizzas. Yeah. I think that they were making yeah. sure that it didn't go to anybody who needs it. They, oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, god. Those are my. They were literally. It sounds like, oh, you have a badge. You can take as much pizza as you want. If you don't have a badge, well, sorry. This yeah. Is although, the evidence. Although <laughs> Alex's friend Elise did manage to squirrel away a full box of pizza yeah. somehow. Yeah, he yeah, came yeah. back and was handing it out. She was so powerful, though. Yeah, a, a very powerful move, no yeah. doubt. Alex, uh, you know, yeah. other than the police patrolling the pizza, <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me a little bit more your experience. You've both this is your, you're as a press gonzo journalist versus uh-huh. you know being actually in a film. What was the your experience? Maybe the difference from previous years. Um, I was a lot more motivated to talk to people about the films themselves rather than just whatever project I was doing. You know, I, it was less. It was more about taking in information than it was about hobnobbing, which was nice and pretty refreshing. 
Um, I'm not a guy. I have not seen a lot of movies. I'm not I'm not a cinema guy. I'm a TV guy. Uh, I'm a books guy. And I'm a podcasts guy. Um, so I've seen probably less than 80 movies in my life, but I'm I had a really great time. It was really great. Awesome. Yeah, I watched probably more definitely sat in more screenings this year than I ever have at any previous dead center. Man, that's what I love to hear. All hits. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I like that you call that out uh, because when you have a project in a festival, you're basically a salesperson for your thing. And it's a lot. And that's a lot of work, by the way. Like it's kind of I mean, depending on the kind of person you are, it's probably draining versus you get to just like go and take it all in. Yeah, it was nice. That's cool. Well, uh, you guys have already said everything I'm going to say. Honestly, in full disclosure, I was in the press room for like two full days. So um, I did on Sunday. I was like movie day and it was double feature Lily Gladstone day. So I saw Quantum Cowboys, which we're going to talk about in a minute. uh, But also um, the closing film Fancy Dance, which I'll also talk about more in a minute. So that was that was super fun. Um, party on Saturday was the only. uh, Well, I went to the rooftop party at the beginning, which is always a fun one. All the humans there were lovely. They were cool. I met a couple of filmmakers that were awesome. But I got there like after all the people like the people that I'm right. sitting with right now had already left. So I was like, oh, OK. Laura and I basically got to the point where we were either just like schmoozing or, t- or t- uh, was, like standing around. So yep. not the same as Saturday's party where everyone was rolling up the sleeves. We've seen some movies. Let's get some free booze um, and just shoot the ship. Yeah. Great night for drink tickets. Oh, great night. For yeah. Drink tickets. Yeah. Mickey Reese randomly showed up. I, that was the only time I saw him at the entire festival was on Saturday night. Yep. He was. He told me, he was like, I'm going to show up to one of these things and it's going to be the Saturday night one. Yeah. Oh, that was good. That, honestly, I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, one. But fun times, I, I think the thing that just it really reminded me of is just the, the value of the community aspect. And I, I, it sounds like really sentimental and stuff. But I think the thing that I've always loved about Dead Center, at least the idea of Dead Center, is that, hey, we're bringing filmmakers who've worked, poured literally their blood, sweat and tears on budgets way smaller than they actually need. Mm -hmm. So these are real passion projects. They bring it to the festival to show to their family, their friends, the film lovers in Oklahoma City. Um, So whether those are casual film goers or they're people like us who are critics or podcasters. And it just brings everyone kind of together and that's super sentimental, but the older I get, the sweeter it is. It's like we're all working really hard to do our thing throughout the year. So taking a weekend to say, hey guys, let's all just like, come together, watch some movies and celebrate together. Uh, I don't know. It just, it felt right. And I, I will say, despite, I think uh, the festival team doing really great work adapting to virtual, especially in 2020 where they had to do it in literally like three months, it just wasn't the same. It didn't quite recapture the same magic that I felt here this last weekend. And it has me so pumped to do uh, more dead centers in the future. That's such a good way to put it, Kate. I mean, I'm, you, you're walking around for for us anyway. You're, you're walking around the festival weekend with this thing that says media around your neck. And you're like worried about how that's going to color your interactions with people. And like to a person, uh, I just felt like so welcomed by everybody I talked to, yeah. filmmaker, yep. programmer, like whatever it was. Like everybody was just happy, you know, that people were excited about the fest. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I genuinely believe this is a festival that's that is it is built out of love, compassion and um uh, a deep love of cinema and community, you know? So, oh yeah. Uh, again, sentimental, but Hey guys, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. Maybe you should go. <laughs> so let's, uh, we've talked a lot about the experience. Let's uh, shift and talk about movies though. So there are a number of narrative feature films that we all saw. We're probably not going to get to all of them individually. So let's just start by talking about, let's all pick two, at least two to start with the exception of quantum cowboys, which we'll talk about because four of us at this, t- at least four of us at this table saw that one. 
What were your two favorite narrative feature films stood out? Uh, what Which two stood out to you and why? I'll start with you, Dalton. Uh, well, first off, I've got to talk about the Burns Brothers Hell Hath No Fury. You know, yep. it was the opening night movie. Uh, and boy, did it hit. I, I didn't get to see their, their last film, Shifter, uh, unfortunately. So I have a blind spot there. But, you know, I, I was a big fan of Electric Nostalgia. Uh, and, and was really curious what they were cooking up. And boy, is it different yeah. uh, than some of their other stuff that I've seen. Uh, it's such a good time. It's the sort of, you know, neo-noir murder comedy uh, of comedy of errors. And it's just such a good time at the movies. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I know you said to talk about my favorites, but I want to poo-poo something. Can I be a you naughty can, boy? You, you can be a naughty boy and poo-poo something if you want to. It's okay. Uh, I, I saw, well, because I know we're going to talk about Bottoms and I know we're going to talk about Quantum Cowboys and those are the other two features I saw. Okay. So yeah, the yeah. fourth feature, because I, I don't think I saw five. We, we only we saw, saw four, four features. Yeah, we saw yeah. four features. So I will talk about, talk about the same two. Yeah, we're going to talk about Onyx the Fortuitous and <sighs> The Talisman of Souls, which has some of the coolest puppets I've ever seen in an independent film. That's uh, gorgeous. Just some incredible practical effects really good costuming, really solid cinematography, and some of the worst fucking Reddit jokes I've heard in the last 10 years. <laughs> so annoying. It's crazy. I'm, I'll, wait, I'll wait my turn. Yeah, I, I, I wanted so bad to get on board with it. I tried so hard, and like, thank God for Alex and, and Dustin for keeping me from walking out of the theater. Uh, <laughs> because some of the coolest stuff is in the back half. Yeah. And the first 15 minutes really turned off. Oh, that's off. not good if you're turned off in 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, and the rest of the movie was like, spent trying to claw my way out of a hole and I finally so, ended so up Alex, around. Did you, did you have to restrain him? Literally like, no dude, just <laughs> you hold his hand and you say, hang on, it's going to get better. I promise. Not physically, but he crouched. It, there was a full, he was like, he did his butt left his chair for a second. I do. I do remember <laughs> me like, say, hey, do you, are we really going to? And I was like, I have to subject myself to this whole thing. Yeah. It felt like my duty, which is too bad because, you know, to, to, to big up the filmmaker a little bit, uh, I, I know Worm uh, from 2013. Uh, this is Andrew Bowser, who's the uh, writer, director, star of uh, Onyx. Mm -hmm. uh, also had this film Worm at uh, Dead Center in 2013. I know Dustin's a huge fan of that film. He's been yeah, championing he it, loved it for years. And I think it won some awards at that fest. So, you know, I, I'm always excited time a filmmaker wants to go from like sort of experimental one shot, you know, crime mm -hmm. thrillers to kind of a broad 80s throwback comedy like okay i appreciate the swing don't get me wrong it's just not for me mm -hmm. uh but you know if, if a if a love letter to like goonies and ghostbusters and gremlins sounds exciting to you you might have a good time at this uh, i will just say that the, the jokes are not really my speed are you sure you're not talking about what rhymes with reason I didn't oh. see what rhymes with reason, uh, but I, I know uh, some there's a lot of Goonies. There's a very yeah. heavy Goonies vibe. Goonies. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They even make a joke about it in the movie. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah this I you know, Sunrise kind of mentioned that it was going to be reference heavy when he introed it. Uh, and that immediately like got my hackles up. I was like, oh, boy, what are we in for? And yep. honestly, there's not like any direct like referencey stuff mm -hmm. you know I, I was kind of expecting like deliberate on the nose there's only one like, right at the very for, like, end parodies yeah and, yeah totally i for like scene for scene ripoffs yeah same uh there is like one direct scene lift from another movie's ending at the end of the film but it's cute it, like, it kind of works for me very cool uh but yeah hell hath no fury to hell turn on no a positive note. yeah uh, great cast great costuming mm -hmm. i mean it looks incredible the the, uh, the cinematography on this thing is great jacob good Good job, dude. They, they make movies that look like 10 times more expensive than they yep. are. It's crazy. And Every it, single cent is on that screen. And yeah. it's like they shot that in 10 days. Um, I don't know if that came That's up in the Q&A, but they shot that under a really tight. I mean, like, so 
considering the resources and time they have, it's it's just remarkable how hot top notch it is. Yeah. Um, and the, the, I think the writing was was really strong on that one too. Uh, hey Alex, yeah, Onyx though, give us your thoughts. You don't have Look. to wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to. We have to take turns. We can bounce around okay. a little bit. Uh, I want to hear. Uh, so my thing with Onyx is a couple of things. First of all, before I forget, I don't think that the ending was a straight rip off of Beetlejuice. They use the song. Uh, What's the, the the one that's like jump in the line, rock your body in time? Okay, everything. They use that one, but they're not. They just use the song. But they do the floating thing, and that's oh, uh, the, they. I forgot that they float. With Winona Ryder doing I the float. I forgot that they float in that. Yeah. I was already checked out. You know what? That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that. The, uh, I so when you make a movie based on a viral video, you're gonna run into some problems. And I think that it's uh, the same set of problems that a lot of the SNL movies in the 90s ran into. Ooh, okay. Um, you're going to run into how much do we use our character's catchphrase that he definitely has? How much do we lean into the stuff from the video that people already like? How much of that makes like makes the transition from this character, this character's videos to his real life stuff? And I think that they just, they... He's playing a character whose deal is that he's annoying, right? That's the like. That's risky. That's the mm -hmm. deal. That's that's what makes that's the, the videos. Yeah. That's the buy-in. That's what made the videos popular. And so it makes sense that you would want to continue to do that for the whole movie, but it doesn't sist. Okay, you know what it's like. Uh, there, the Pepsi and Coke test from some Malcolm Gladwell book. He talked about how they did taste tests for Pepsi and Coke. And Pepsi would always win the sip test because it was a little sweeter than Coke. Mm -hmm. But when people would have like a two liter of Coke versus a two liter of Pepsi, they always preferred the Coke because the sweetness of the Pepsi got cloying. So it's something that's good in small doses. But if you stretch it out over an hour and a half, it cannot sustain itself. Yeah. And that's how I feel about the character of Onyx the Fortuitous. Now. The rest of the movie, I had a pretty good time with. I really loved the yeah. puppets. Uh, you some know, cool puppets, some dude. Unbelievably cool practical effects. I think that this would have made even a good kids movie. Mm -hmm. I think if they had cut all the fucks and shits out of it and marketed it as a kids movie, it would have done. I think that I would have given it more grace for the jokes. This is the thing I forgot to bring up is and that we had talked about when we got out of it. It's like it, it's very unclear who the film is for. Right. It, mm -hmm. Like just maturity level. It just. Right, because it's like a kids' movie for adults, but the jokes aren't adult, and they're like about you know like sex and fucking and stuff. But it they're not adult jokes. Like they're they're like they're very chaste jokes about sex because Onyx's whole deal is that he's an adult virgin. He's like a virgin. Yeah. So is it kind of like when you're in high school and you you, you think you're making ex, uh, like edgy sexual jokes, but they're really not adult jokes? Like not, it's no, like, it's not like even. it's like isn't it funny that everybody is like more comfortable with sexuality than Onyx is? Kind of stuff. Um, okay. You know, I, I'm trying to think know. of like how to put a he pin just, on it. He yeah. says fuck a lot, and he doesn't need to. Like I'm not like a. You know, I'm not like a prude about saying fuck, but in this movie specifically, it is tonally weird. Yeah. yeah, big time. How to do like a hard R version of this movie and then still make all of the like all the puppets were very PG, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the like, I don't know. You know what it feels like? It feels like 80s PG. 
Yeah, totally. Like, if he had just said fuck once and gotten away with, like, a PG-13 thing, I think that this movie would have been a slam dunk for people who are, like, exactly 12. Mm-hmm. That's a really good <laughs> way to put it. Yeah. You know, the, the fun thing about the, the movies that aren't as good is you can sometimes spend a lot of time talking about them. I, I yeah, love that. Because yeah. I'm digging this. Like, you're trying to figure out what is the, why did this movie suck, basically? Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I do it. You know what I like? I like his tiny wines. His, he drinks tiny wines. He He's drink, got a little, yeah. But he he carries in his little uh, lunchbox. He carries a little little tiny wine, like a little mm-hmm. Sutter like a home, like a picnic wine. Yeah, like yeah, a tiny like little a picnic wine. Tiny little like an airplane. It's a wine. very goofy bit. He takes one sip of it and then he's loosened up enough to be social. Up. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some st- yeah, there's, there's some, some good business. There's yeah. some good bits of business in there. I just and th- uh, man, there's so much good stuff in this movie that I wish had been used on a good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's always a tough spot to be into when you're like, there's enough good that you're like, if it was just in a better movie. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, so what, Alex, would you be your yeah. picks for two feature films that stuck out to you? So it would I mean, Dalton and I saw, saw all the same movies. So my other one, since we're going to talk about the other two, is definitely uh, Hell Hath No Fury. I loved it. Awesome. I popped really hard for Hell Hath No Fury. It's exactly like right up my alley. It's very cartoony. I've, it reminds me tonally of a lot of like my favorite sketch stuff. There's some, uh, and this is for nobody. There are some line reads that, uh, uh, Sno- Jacob's novel does that remind me of Tim Kalpakis from the birthday boys. Um, there's nice. some like, just, yeah, some really like over the top overwrought stuff that reminds me of like stuff Scott Ackerman would do on the comedy bang bang show. Mm-hmm. Just like some of my favorite comedy of the 2010s, basically they said the no, and I the, talked the, to the Burns brothers. They have never seen the birthday boys. Really? That's so, so, so they told us, uh, both, I think they said in the Q and they also did it on the interview we did with them. Uh, the note they kept giving to Jacob was go full cartoon. Just yeah. go, go more cartoon. Like anytime they like, that was the consistent, like, no, you're going big. That's great. Do that. But like times two, Love I it. loved it. I loved what they got out of Jacob. I really, I've never seen him go that big before. And I didn't realize he had that kind of timing with this kind of stuff. It was really impressive. And, and Leah Philpot is like, Holy Oh yeah. Leah Philpott Carmen is so San Diego. Cool. She's a nineties cartoon character. Yes. She's unbelievable. Life. Yeah. It's nuts. What a performance. Yeah. Uh, she is incredible. I mean, yeah. the movie as a whole is, is I think is just a really great film. Her and Jacob both elevate, I mean, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. elevate what was already a really good movie. You right. Know? Um, and just the way that she's under so many scenes looks like she's just agonizingly in her head. Just yeah. like, I want to murder this guy so bad. Can we just get it over with? But also having to be like, yeah, things are great. Things are fine. It's just so good. A lot of great, like subtle acting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, how about you? What are, what, if you had, what two features stuck out to you? I mean, I also have Hell Hath No Fury on my list. Uh, we're probably all going to talk about yeah. it. I don't know. I'll just also throw a mention to Vinnie Hogan's music. I thought yes, it was really dude. good. It was like, um, from the opening credits, just really fun. I love the vibe of the movie, and I think that also is one thing that elevated it. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if I can say any more about that one. It's just really fun. I always love their work, and that was yeah. sort of a new direction for them, I think. Big so. time, yeah. It was a big swing because they'd done so essentially uh, the history there is Vinny directed a musical comedy long time ago called The the Fable of Shannon Cable. Dalton and I had seen that one way back yeah, in the oh day yeah. for good trash. Long time ago. And then uh, obviously they had Electric Nostalgia, which is kind of that gothic horror kind of heady genre. And they have shifted that's basically just a time travel 
body horror versus this like went a totally different direction. Well, we haven't even mentioned yet. This is Zachary Burns directorial debut. Yeah, so, right. So this is, the, so Jacob did the last directed the last two and Vinny directed the first one. This is the first one Zachary uh, had directed. I just think he had a home run. Very I, strong right out the gate. Really incredible movie. debut. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then I always, I just always look for genre films, specifically horror. So I am going to throw mind, body, spirit in there too. that yoga horror film that I enjoyed, had fun in. Is it the best horror movie I've seen? No. And I was actually messaging with Zach Burns about this yesterday. And he was like, people said that was the scariest movie they've ever seen. And I was like, uh, <laughs> um, probably not, but. I was like, it's fun. So I told him to go see it too. Um, I saw part of your review and got so mad when I found out that that was a horror movie. I felt yeah. so stupid. I was just, I thought I was just like, I just very briefly looked at the blurb and was like, takes over her mother's yoga studio. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll get to that one. Yeah. yeah. No. What? <laughs> I always look for them. Always. I don't know. I always have fun with horror movies at best because they're, I mean, either they're really awesome. Like I saw the premiere of Hereditary at Sundance, which is like one of Yo, my best festival stories sick. of all time. Uh, Dude, the, the South by Southwest crowd for that was also bonkers. Oh, I bet it yeah. was. Such a, yeah, late night horror movies at film festivals. Mm. Yeah, with the exhaustion of like a volunteer, which I was <laughs> at that one. Um, so yeah, I just always look for those, always have a good time. And, and that one, I don't think disappointed. It was, I think the second screening, so it was a little bit more chill. So mm. I... I, I assume the the first one was probably a little bit bigger, maybe a more in tune audience for it. Um, but again, yeah, it was just fun. It was like very Evil Dead in its setup in terms of like it's a book. She finds it. She starts reading it. Bad okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like, and that's what Myra said, too, is like, if you know that, you know what's going to happen. You know where it's going to go. But. Some freaky things still happen and they do some good camera work and some really good effects there as well. Like she stabs herself in the head at one point and I was like, that looks pretty good. That's oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So I'm just like in the back row nodding like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are my it. two narratives, I think. I, I'm glad you called that out. Your review, I'll put it this way. I remember when I read the Dead Center blurb for it, like it kind of just flew across my schedule. I was like, yeah, that sounds okay. Your review actually got me way more interested in it. So, mm-hmm. listeners, cinematropolis.com, you can go read her full in-depth thoughts there. That's uh, right. But, you know, I, I kind of, I know you said it's not great, but also you're just like Evil Dead in a yoga studio. In fact, in our Evil Dead Rise mm-hmm. review, I was literally like, just put, I hope this is the future of the franchise. Just put it in like literally anywhere yeah. except for a cabin in the woods. Yeah. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there. So neighborhood swimming pool would oh, be yeah. good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <gasps> Fill the pool of blood. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Or do it on a cruise ship for pool of blood. Yes. Um, Kitty yeah. pool. Uh, and then the, like, the mushroom with the blood dripping down. Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. There's a lot of stuff you can do with that. So it doesn't sound like mind, body, spirit quite goes there, but I like the idea that they even attempted to do the similar premise in a different setting. At least mm-hmm. that's kind of neat. Yeah, no, it was fun. And the two lead actors were there and they were very enthusiastic again. So it's just really nice to to see people talk about their work and and learn about how the movie was made. So very cool. Great recommends. Daniel Bokemper, what are your two films? I'm going to take a stand against yeah. Hell Hath No Fury wow. by not talking about it. It was a okay. fine movie. I just yeah. figured everyone else was going to bring it up. So, <laughs> um, Jacob and Zach, I know you're listening. He said, Dan- I heard that Daniel Bokemper <laughs> hated your movie. Despised it. Yeah. <laughs> Despised it. All those laughs by myself in my own home watching it were fake. I just forced myself to laugh. That's right. I heard you say that uh, earlier yeah. off mic. Yeah. Good. I'm going to say it again. Say it twice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was a fine movie. But. 
Um, I didn't actually see that many narrative features. I actually uh, really at Dead Center, I end up going for the documentaries. I don't know why. I think it's just become kind of my, my thing. And they then, get some good. They, re- I mean, they, they really do. do get That's some the other good thing. It's like, yeah, you keep bringing some bangers that are going to go attend them. But um, they also uh, the short films are were made up a lot of my festival time. Uh, but there are a few narratives I want to talk specifically the one that uh, was at the bottom of the film festival itself. Uh, not Fancy Dance, but Bottoms by uh, Emma Set. And I always mess up her last name. I think it's Emma Seligman. 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 Okay, yeah. Emma Seligman. It is a uh, <laughs> high school comedy um, about two lesbians who are uh, really want to lose their virginity before they go to college. Um, As one does. It, sure. Yes. And you have to or they won't let you in. They won't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't give a shit about your GPA. Yeah. You are... Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, and so they they start a, a fight club to impress uh, some cheerleaders, as one does. And yeah, it's it's very absurd. Definitely in the adult animated film come to life, uh, really. And I think it like to me, it felt like you know we were talking about it earlier, Dalton. And I know you have thoughts on this. Um, not another teen movie, kind of the scary movie, the spoof movies, but was like way more like intelligent, I think, and a little more aware of itself. Alex is shaking his head. I actually disagree with that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you like the, do you think? Okay. But be, specifically because I think that it is more of a, um, a satire about like American high school than it is mm-hmm. about American high school movies. It doesn't do any really direct nods. There's nothing in it that happens. Like all those other movies are you know, they're fine, but they're not about anything. Yeah. <laughs> like those movies are specifically. They're, they're about how like, isn't it weird the way we process high school in film? Yeah. yeah. I get what you're saying. Or it's even specifically not another teen movie. Yes. Not. And even not another teen movie, since it's part of that, like scary movie sort of coaching tree. Mm-hmm. It has a lot more specific references to mm-hmm. other movies. And it's about teen movies rather than it's being about teenhood. I get that, but I also don't get how the audiences for that would be very different. Like, I don't know. I I would still seem that like on some fundamental level, they may be going for the same thing. Well, I guess sure, I, what it right. sounds like Alex is saying is like the great success maybe of Bottoms is that it is, you know, while, while catering to the same audience, it's carving out its own lane. By it's being new. Teen yeah, yeah. And it's maybe new and not another teen movie was not new. No. Yeah. And maybe that's where it yeah. feels like very important. And, it, and, and we were saying I was mentioning this earlier. It kind of to me feels like it might be this year's. Um, and not for the obvious reasons, not having two yeah, yeah. strong female modes, but like book smart, like it kind of feels like that. But then also at the same time, I realize as much as I like that film, I have not revisited. Yeah. So I mm-hmm. question the longevity yeah. of something like this. Whereas I think like, just because this comes from the same, um, group of creators, but the, uh, bodies, 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 yeah. I think that film's going to probably has a little more permeance yeah. than no, this absolutely. one, even though the, they're about two different things, but I still think. This one just it's comedic timing, and I think just the the absurdity and the yeah. physical comedy and the actual actual fight choreography. Because I also was like questioning whether or not that was really going the be way there. the yeah. violence is shot is really cool. It is I agree. Rachel Sinnott delivers a slow mo uppercut that is like that cinema gold. Yes, yeah. and I there, I will say there is a part of me that was like hoping it was going to be a little more like yeah. going to go straight just. Jackie Chan, like just sure right off the get fighting on the bleachers and everything like that. And it doesn't get quite to that, but it, I think it's still funny. And I don't think it was one thing I noticed with it. And maybe it's just because of the festival crowd and the, the, the reactions, but it sometimes when 
films like that, that like every single line is something that you could laugh at potentially yeah. that could get kind of exhausting. I wasn't really exhausted by this movie. Yeah. So maybe a little bit in like the, the third act when they're trying to kind of wrap it all up, but then it brings itself back with like what I yeah. think is a really strong finale. I agree. So, but, but I do get that in the yeah. sense that it is. Yeah. It, it's definitely not like a spoof, but it like kind of enters the same yeah absurd realm that a spoof might definitely yeah definitely there is stuff in it that's like clear very clearly a parody of like real life high school messaging for sure i i do wonder and i need to watch it again but i'm like to what extent does it like actually make fun of uh not so much chuck palnax but david fincher's fight club like i'm like because there it's there's very, references there yeah. is and there is but they're they're kind of it's slight and i wouldn't call it like a like, it's almost hard to call it an illusion unless things exploding. I'd right. rather both in deeply queer, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yes. Yeah. They both yes. have domestic terrorism. Yeah. Holy cow. I'm learning so much about Bottoms I didn't know. You got to check out. I just thought it was a queer comedy, a coming-of-age comedy, but apparently... No, there's a little light terrorism. Oh, there's oh, some cool there's stuff in it, too. You guys just... I mean, I was already <laughs> interested. You just sold me, though. Yeah. Be yeah. gay, a new crime. That's Heck right. Yeah. It's a two-part formula. Uh, yeah. Uh, you said something, Daniel, that kind of connected to something Alex and I had talked about. I hadn't even thought about it, but you talked about this the film like not feeling like it's running too long. And Alex and I kind of talked about, well, it's a real chuckle movie, not a big belly laugh movie. And that yeah. kind of works in its favor. I agree. It keeps yeah. You from like being worn out by the mm -hmm. time, like it goes real crazy in the, the third act. Yeah. So you've I, still got juice left. For exactly. That crazy third act. Yes. I th it's a movie I wanted to love and only like, and I think it's just cause I was festival exhausted. Yeah. yeah. I think that a rewatch would, I think there's a lot of like little things, little production get, we're going to talk about bottoms later. I'm going to stop talking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to bring the bottoms back at the bottom of the show. Okay. Um, but uh, real quick, um, I just want to shout out, we've already talked about how my two fix uh, picks were Hell Hath No Fury, of course. Uh, we've already said all the things about it. Just huge congratulations to Zachary Burns on his directorial debut. Congratulations to to Leah, uh, N.H. Philpot, uh, Jacob Burns, Jacob's novel, uh, Vinny, uh, also, haven't even mentioned yet, uh, co-host of this program, LaRon Chapman, has a small but important role in the He's film. So funny. He's so, so funny. In it. He's really funny in it. Yes. I was, it's funny. I was talking to him after after the q and I was like, LaRon, he's like, well, I'm not an actor, but they say I do X, this and this and this really good. And I was like, you kind of do. He's like, so he's like, I guess I'm an actor now. Yeah. <laughs> he's That's very talented. to me. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> but you're like, wait, you're actually really funny. Well, we'll put a camera in front of you. And then oh, like, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, huge shout out to everyone on that team. Congratulations on, um, I, I believe, two sold out shows. I'm pretty sure yeah. I I couldn't get a slip of paper for the second showing. Uh, they said there were some like two seats in the front left, but I couldn't get you know, you have to get the paper to get in. And mm -hmm. I just had to do the thing where I pop my head in and out because I was doing the Q&A. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, two sold out shows and two great crowds. I think in fact, I think as awesome as the first crowd was, at least the like five minute segments I popped in for the second one. There was like the crowd engagement was just off the charts. Like there was a guy who would, you know, see something. There was a guy who did this twice. He saw something coming and it was, I'm pretty sure it was the same guy. It's like, oh shit, oh shit. And then the punchline would happen, you know, something would happen. Yeah. And it was, it was really funny because everyone was reacting to him and then the thing would happen and it would be like a great. huge, yeah, great. it was magical. <laughs> Um, uh, Fancy Dance, the closing night film. Uh, I'm the, so mad I missed this one. It was tough. You had to pick between Bottoms and Fancy Dance. And I was actually upset because when I saw Bottoms was on the schedule, I was like, oh, I'm going to see that. And then I just, presumed that they were not at the same time. It wasn't until I think like Thursday where I was like, wait a second, these are the same time. So uh, Fancy Dance was the, uh, I think, 
I think they, I don't know. I think they were both labeled a closing night film. My suspicion, and I don't know this. This is a totally hundred percent speculation that I have not heard from any anyone officially affiliated with the film festival. My speculation is that in order to get movies of that level, you probably have they have to be like a headliner of some sort. In this case, I, my guess is probably the closing night film because I'm pretty sure they were both labeled closing night on the schedule. Uh, so this is the film that was uh, the other film. So Lily Gladstone had two films, Quantum Cowboys, coming in one second. But uh, the other one was Fancy Dance, and that's the uh, film that is directed uh, by the uh, Oklahoma Icon Award winner for this year, Erica Tremblay, uh, who's an indigenous queer woman who has done a lot of really great work. She's doing some stuff on uh, – I think she worked uh, a little bit on Res Dog Season 2, is doing even more for Season 3. And this is her directorial debut, Fancy Dance. Uh, summary, in short, basically – you're kind of following this queer, uh, uh, queer indigenous woman who is taking care of her partner's daughter. Partner's missing. That's kind of the premise of the movie at the very beginning is, hey, she's missing. And she's telling her sort of like pseudo adopted daughter, hey, when your mom, we're going to go to the uh, it's the powwow is kind of like where they do the dance and stuff. But they're going to go to the powwow and your mom will be there. That's kind of the thing she's telling the daughter mm-hmm. character. Um, but, uh, obviously they don't know where she is. And whenever the mom has been missing for a while, mom's parents who are white people <laughs> show up and try to like take custody away from Lily Gladstone's, uh, character in the film. So basically, uh, this is all in the print, like the setup, I promise. Uh, she goes and takes the daughter out of custody from the, 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 the grandparents to take her to the powwow. Cause that's where she wants to go. And she's convinced they will find like she's got her brother's also a uh, I think a police officer or detective maybe FBI I'll check on and verify that but uh, with the the um, team that is investigating the the missing uh, person's report mm-hmm. so the film is sort of following that journey of hey you're breaking the law people are hunting you down you have this daughter that you're trying to adopt the daughter character that you're trying to kind of keep in a healthy space um, while there's also this big question of what happened to her partner right. Uh, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want to oversell it, but I will just say I was deeply moved by this, uh, film. It's, it's a really emotional film. There's some good laughs in there too. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's a joyless movie, but it's definitely dealing with some really intense stuff. Um, especially, especially when you think about indigenous women, uh, going missing and how no one seems to care about it. You know, there's a lot of, it touches on a lot of things that as a cis straight white person, I don't have to think, I just generally don't think about. So, for me, it was um, not only do I think Lily Gladstone is uh, just crazy, crazy good in the lead role. Um, I, I think uh, Erica Tremblay has a real strong eye for a director. She has a really light touch, which is really good. So it kind of gives it this more naturalistic approach nice. um, that I, I personally like quite a bit. But it, it feels empathetic, I guess. Like um, we're not invasive, but also we as the viewers empathize with the situation. Um, and then, um, I, I don't know I always, I keep going back to the, the quote, the Roger Ebert quote where he call they call, you know, films that are basically equivalent to machines that generate empathy, I'm literally going to write that on my gravestone. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but it's one of those where, huh, I know nothing about this right world, but there's a, I've heard vaguely, oh yes, well, indigenous we, women go missing, broken homes. And when we right, make movies you know? about this issue, right? It's like Wind mm-hmm. River, right? right. It's about. The white, the white investigator who's trying to like you know help 
and not not about the people who are living with this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I I, I loved it. Nice. I give it four and a half on Letterbox. I honestly I just only because I just don't ever want to give movies five stars instantly. I might give it five stars next week. We'll see. But I just need to let it sit with me for a while. But I thought it was a great film. Um, there was also a really moving Q and A with uh, uh, Lily Gladstone, uh, Erica Tremblay after the film. Um, again hosted by. Uh, features programmer uh, Sunrise Tipikani, who also, again, only bats home runs with his Q&As. So. Yeah, wow. Highly recommend that film. It does not, so I did not realize it does not have distribution yet, so... It doesn't? No, or at least not that they could talk about. Oh. Hmm, okay. That's a surprise. Basically, Lily Gladstone's like, I wish this movie would have come out uh, after that other movie that's coming out. Uh-huh. She's like, because it would probably make this one a lot easier to sell. And then Eric is like, oh, it still might come out after that other movie. Okay. So okay. This could be me maybe misreading that comment. And also I talked to a couple of people around the festival and the general takeaway I got was that maybe it has not been picked up, but that might not be true. Mm. So because they were at Sundance. Were they at South by too? Uh, yes. Both festivals. That's a surprise. That is a surprise. And it should be picked up. People need to see this movie. Like, like I feel as strongly about this as I do about like Moonlight in terms of like, wow. hey, people, you, this is a really, I, I mean, at least in terms of the fact that like, this is a story you're never seeing made by this group of people being put out at a very considerable. I mean, it's not like a super hundred million dollar movie, but like it looks like a quality film you would go to the movies and see like a mid-budget film in a good way. Like the adult dramas that we don't mm -hmm. see very much of anymore. Fingers crossed. Again, fancy dance. Please keep your eyes on it. Totally worth your time. But that said, we've got to talk about the other Lily Gladstone movie, Quantum Cowboys. The film that I was not too scared to immediately give five stars on Letterboxd. Five stars. I knew. I could tell. I knew you were going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking at the website, but I knew you were going to give it a five. Yeah, I pulled the trigger. I saw Rotoscope. I saw Lily Gladstone. I saw the title and I was like, your boy's there. Gotta yep. go. Yeah. So context, and I'll let Dalton tell us more about the movie. I'm sitting here. I have like 30 minutes deep dinner before Q&A after I wrap up my day. And I'm, I go over to Dave's Hot Chicken because Dave's Hot Chicken is really delicious. And that's what's in Bricktown. And yep. so it's in Bricktown. Please give me those sponsorship dollars. Um, <laughs> and then these fine gentlemen in Dustin Cells come over and sit by me. And I was like, I got like 10 minutes. And you guys had just gotten out of Quantum Cowboy and you guys are all like best movie of the festival I've seen so far. Du down. Dustin's like, that's going to be in my top 10, no doubt, if not my number one. And I'm mm -hmm. like, holy cow. Uh, well, it's a Dustin movie in a big way. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that said, Dalton, uh, do me the favor because I went I went and saw it and reached out to Daniel later that night. I said, hey, man, I'm going to Quantum Cowboys based on you all's recommendation tomorrow. You want to go? Dalton also put the bug in my ear. Yeah, nice. I couldn't so, shut up about it. Yeah. Please, I was, right. tell, I was telling people to go to that second showing. Yeah. yeah. So Quantum Cowboys is a acid Western that takes place in a kind of multiverse milieu. And if you're exhausted by that, I'm so sorry. But I promise this is a good one. I, I, I know that we're we're just doing multiverses to death the last couple of years. They're the zombies of the 2020s. God, you're so right. Yeah, yeah it's we're, gonna be bad. The sad thing is we're not even that deep into no, it. No, no, we're, no, we've yeah. barely scratched the surface yet. Yeah, we got five more years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good, just, yeah. We'll just wait till the house of mouse gets going. Um, but yeah, so it, it takes that assignment very seriously. Uh, the filmmaker, whose name I'll get here in just a second, uh, He's like an astrophysicist. Yeah, uh, Jeff Marslett. Uh, yeah, his background is in science and physics, and he's very interested in this stuff. Uh, his first film, Mars, uh, came out in 2010 and uh, is about the colonization of Mars and predates all those conversations about that by, you know, quite a few years. Uh, so he's he's definitely like interested in trying to bring his background into his filmmaking. And, and they 
sort of set out to tell the story of these different intersecting, overlapping universes and use different animation styles to represent each one. Um, and it's a lot of its rotoscopes, you know, it's being animated over live action footage. Some of it's just live action. Some of it looks like it's just animated. Yeah. Some of it looks like it might have they might have shot it and then hand drawn. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Like there's the like but like there's very it's not just one version of rotoscope. Yeah, like there's like some that are very yeah, detailed. Yeah. There's some that's like literally they took a regular pencil and drew. Yeah. Some I guess stuff. You're saying. Yeah. 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 It's it's that's you're so right to bring that up because it's it even within the 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 medium of rotoscope. It's, yeah, it's like they're using a couple of different like philosophies on how to do that. There's one of them that looks like they just put the gun smoke filter over a live action, which was it's awesome. So sick. Yeah. It's so cool. No, it's really that dope. was. Uh, it also yeah. involves the participation of uh, John Doe from X and Nico Case from the Velvet Underground and a lot of other stuff. Uh, Nico Case is not. Oh wait, who am I thinking of? You're thinking like, of Nico from the Velvet. Yeah, Un- Nico Case was in the New Pornographers. I'm a fucking idiot. Is it idiot. Nico Case or not? It is Nico Case. Yes. I love Nico Case. Me too. Yeah, well, she looks great. She sounds great. I love her so yeah, much. Yeah, I'm, so I'm more the John Doe head of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's, it's my being wrong. Uh, but yeah, they both didn't collaborate on music for the film, uh, and they both kind of play these, which which to me is like part of the the DNA of an acid Western. Cause you think about like Jim Jarmusch's dead man has also got the collaboration of some like, you know, like, um, I think Iggy pop is in that and some other musicians. Yep. So that, that to me, like kind of feels part of the DNA of that genre. Uh, Gary farmer shows up also speaking of, you know, uh, indigenous acting legends, you know, obviously mm-hmm. Lily Gladstone's about to pop, but Gary farmer has been out here forever. Oh, and yeah. He has a fun supporting role in it. And so, yeah, it's it's about this. Just like, to it, shout out a white actor real quick, just in case we miss it. Uh, David Arquette. Yes, thank you. Yes. David Arquette probably the most, rushes in this he's film. He's the heavy in this film. He is. Yeah. In terms of, he's probably the most air quotes famous. Also, he is white. So that, that's, yeah. Um, yeah but I, he is the most famous, I would say, like the biggest name until Lily Definitely. Gladstone wins the Oscar right. uh, actor in the movie. Uh, people might, the average person might sure. know. Sure. Hey, need to add though, there is a filmmaker who he, his era passed and I don't think he was ever given an entirely fair shake, but Alex Cox yeah. is also Yeah, it, Repo who, Man. Yeah. Yes, but also Walker, which is for this to be, it's a lot of things, but to in part, it's also an achronistic Western. And for him, sure. who I think directs one of the definitive uh, a critistic Western films in Walker. I don't know. To see, it's really good. It's it's about. Um, I cannot think of the historical figure's name, but it was basically uh, a uh, colonizer goes to Nicaragua and the eighteen. I can't remember when his era was, but he was like the first like governor, I guess. But it was like uh, appointed by America. Oh, um, and sure, he's yeah. like, and it, but it has like helicopter, but it, so it takes place in the 19th century, but it has like helicopters in it. And there's like sequences where he's just like kicking like a Coke can Hell yeah. down That's a great. dirt yeah, path. And it's like, how'd that get there? Yeah, and it, you're, so, you're so right to bring up that aspect of, uh, yeah. the quantum cowboys. And it's, it's kind of funny how it plays with the rules of like when it's introducing these like anachronistic elements in timelines. Yes. Cause it, it is also playing with this idea of like viewership and observation and like how, the idea what of like, is a memory? Yeah. Documenting yeah. something, filming it, presenting it like locks it into place and makes it an immutable yeah. fact. Mm-hmm. Whereas anything other than that is sort of loose. Ephemeral. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess plot wise, we haven't talked about like what it's actually about. I'm just kind of giving you the vibe. What That's it's fine. actually about is these two drifters who've kind of like settled in this town or kind of mm-hmm. doing, you know, odd jobs they're they're end up shoveling manure for the mayor so they can attend a festival and one of them gets the bright idea wait a second when i rise at this festival we can rob the town and that happens he robs the town and the marshal uh catches him and in running from the marshal 
somebody trips him and saves his life, and the musician that's uh, leading the, the festivities at the town festival gets murdered. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes about this kind of, it all kind of kicks off from that inciting incident and becomes about like, who tripped him? How did they know that he was in danger? How how did all did of these... the guy that got shot die? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. because there's is, is he destined odd. to is he destined to die? Yeah. Is another big yeah. question. Like, did he die? But also, kind like, of... is he predestined? Like, no matter what, mm. is he going to? Is this part of his ultimate fate, or is there a way out? And what's the deal? That, with... It does play with that. Yeah. yeah. And what's the deal with David Arquette and his crony? And why won't they leave us alone? Right. Yeah. So there's, there's time travel. A... There's also time travel involved. I'll just say that I'll yeah. leave it yeah. kind of open, but there is an element of which is what actually stems the alternate realities. Right. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, that's important to bring up, uh, and involves I can't think of the actor's name, but he plays the uh, the villain in this new season of Schmigadoon. Uh, mm-hmm. Really fun Broadway actor, uh, oh, the narrator guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's like yeah. almost he's so always cool. depicted in like mixed media, mixed media like, yeah, like yeah. stop motion. The stop yeah, motion, it's like a kaleidoscopic like stop motion. Yeah, yeah, it's like a doll with paper yeah. eyes and a paper mouth that moves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. where like his kid and his cat is made out of a collage. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that the the most surreal trippy animation is saved for like this time authority type yeah. mm-hmm. setup. So a couple of things that we, me and Daniel gleaned from our Q&A. Number one, you guys had a question that you wanted to get asked. Now, here's the thing. She answered it uh, in our Q&A. Not from me, though. Like someone else actually asked, but also she'd already kind of touched on it. Nice. But they basically, the way they, they did it was they didn't even know. They mostly did not know when they were shooting scenes in stop motion, like some form of innovation versus live action until they got on the set. And they're like, oh, we got to the set. There's green screens. I guess that means yeah. we're going to be doing an animated sequence today. Okay. And they had to and they basically anytime they were doing animated, they would try to give bigger performances for the animation purposes of animation. Right. But it wasn't like because we were because, th- you know, I'm all thinking, oh, they storyboarded this meticulously. Everyone knew, no. you know, no, no. The actors just kind of went with it. Um, I mean, they knew they knew the premise. They knew what they mm-hmm. wanted to do. But the, it wasn't like a today you're doing stop motion reality today. You're doing rotoscope. It's like, all right. Uh, oh, we're using real props. Okay, so I guess this is a real scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? That's cool. Um, which is really interesting. And kind of hearing like how they went bigger, I thought was really cool. So you guys had asked, mentioned that you, that was a question you had coming out of the Q&A that yeah. did get asked in the second one. Yeah, we were backed up in our, because you guys were at the MOA, which had a yeah. little bit more time. Yeah. We had a, we were at Harkins and there was a screening like right, right after. after ours. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Sunrise got a couple of really good questions out and. I mean, as you already mentioned, Lily uh, is such a thoughtful question answerer. Yeah. Like, we'll answer five questions you didn't think to ask in the answering of one of your questions. Uh, and I love that kind of stuff. I love somebody that's like, well, I'll give you an answer, but it's going to have a lot of context. Right. <laughs> but she was also really humble and like being totally, like, I, totally. I'm, she's like, oh, this is my take on what I think is happening mm-hmm. here. And she's clearly thought quite a lot about all of these things. And that's just really impressive. She's not this isn't just a job. She shows up. She clearly really has a passion and affinity, which leads me to the other tidbit I wanted to mention that we got from my community that I, I guess after talking to you later, we didn't, she didn't talk about this part. This is the first part of a planned trilogy. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, and antilogy yeah. is yeah. what they call it, but it's technically th- three movies, but they're saying antilogy because she's like, the implication with the antilogy is that perhaps what you see in the next movie or the third movie might contradict what you just saw in this movie love it yeah oh yeah yeah you know i love that kind yes. of stuff. i can't i can't wait until all three of them are out and i spend like a week just obsessing 
yeah. over this well, one. I don't think this film... Watching also, them in different orders. Yes. Yeah. I, I right. think this is also a film that does not have distribution yet, as far as I know. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we got to be out of here beating the drum for yeah. Fancy Dance and Quantum Cowboys. Seriously. Come, Quantum Cowboys. The, except, come Killers of the Flower Moon season. Come on, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, someone pick it up. Someone, I mean, it's so for good. God's sake. I'll you've podcast got the money. A... You're not paying writers right now. Can we just... Yeah. <laughs> or ever. Or ever. paying writers for the last 15 years. You got you listen. We need you gotta gotta get some programming back on your streaming services somehow. So just yeah, uh, yeah seriously. But I because it also sounded like the way Lily was uh, Lily Gladstone was talking about on stage was that like her and David Arquette and the folks making it really want to make it happen. Yeah, so that's nice. That's good news for us. It's so interesting. You know, we talked about you or you talked about rather a fancy dance, you know, sort of an indigenous issues film. And we haven't gotten into quantum cowboys and sort of its relationship to the Western genre and like sort of the inherent questions of colonialism, like present in that, that genre and the way quantum cowboys like takes a new approach at yeah. sort of those issues within the Western genre is, is really clever. Uh, I, I don't want to you know spoil too much because it kind of is a big part of the plot and a part of like the film's like, you know, emotional underpinnings, mm -hmm. uh, but really, really kind of clever interrogation of like how we tell Western stories. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, in the Q&A camp that their approach was they wanted to tell a Western story as it was actually probably in the Old West. Like, she, like uh, again, this was her kind of commentary on it was Westerns are not any sort of reflection of the actual Old West. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Th their approach with the story was, hey, let's try to set it in the real Old West or Closer to the old real West than you see in the movies. So, uh, Daniel, you've been quiet about Quantum Cowboys. Thoughts? Anything we missed? No, I, I do think it's a movie I'm still trying to wrap my head around. And I sure. think we'll just be doing that indefinitely. I think that's the fun and the joy of the film itself. But I, I think just the the both the mix. It's ultimately like kind of a like inherently what's happening within it is like a relatively quaint, straightforward story that gets mm -hmm. deconstructed to such an extent that it, I don't know, it just, it, it kind of breathes new life into it. But I'm also, again, I, I just cannot reiterate how excited I have to see both David Arquette and Alex Cox. I'm like, if you're going to put those two yeah. in the film, I'm just going to be there. It's like, that's, um, but at the same time, it, it just feels so oddly appropriate. I don't think it's a coincidence that like Alex Cox is in it and his yeah. adjacency to this kind of, of, um, again, it's it almost, it is a Western film. And that's the other thing. It is more Western than, you know, most westerns we see it in. Lily it's more like Jackson. historical western, not genre western. It is, and it's like I oh, love it when Lily um, in our Q and A she mentioned how like okay, so here's like a lot of people's idea of a western to the point where they call something like Killers of the Flower Moon Scorsese western, even though it isn't. Um, she described it as American tragedy. Yeah, yeah she actually um, was citing. She specifically was citing the uh, Rolling Stone review. She's like, I like how they talked about that yes. movie. Yes, and but at the same time, when you have you know, Clint Eastwood in Spain, filmed by an Italian director um, with, you know, again, somebody else scoring it and all these elements that are like, again, and I love, I'm saying that to say I love the Dollars trilogy. I think it's, well, at least good, the bad and the ugly. Um, I think those are like really fun, good movies, but they don't, they're not an accurate depiction of the West in any capacity. Mm -hmm. And to have this to also simultaneously be, this you know multiverse hopping this time traveling film and to still get the west more right is just really impressive um to speak competently about it i'm going to need quite a bit more time but yeah. from what i just like 
observed in the experience itself. And the other thing is, is like so many multiverse films, even everything everywhere all at once to some extent. And then really just seeing uh, across the Spider-Verse very recently. I know people generally like that film, but I think for like Quantum Cowboys to not feel like it didn't feel like it, it was intentionally disorienting at times, but it didn't feel like outright disorienting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it didn't well, feel it like was, it was, it felt like very deliberate and intentional. Sure. And speaking of this cliffhanger question, you know, we, we've talked about how this film announces at the end that like they want to make more a closed loop. You leave yeah. the film like feeling, you know, like if they don't get to make more, fine, whatever. It, it, yes. Right. It, 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 unlike uh, Across the Spider-Verse, for example, I, I, I don't think these are apples to apples whatsoever. But if you're just talking about in terms of a satisfying way to break a, a part of a, mo- a series of movies, this does it in a place where I still really wanted more. There's still lots of unanswered questions. But if you only got this one movie, you would feel satisfied. Right. Versus, yeah, you know, the one we, other movie we just talked about where you're like, mm, no, you kind of have you kind of have to have the next one for this to actually be good. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that's like, I mean, it works and it does. But like sometimes I feel like I can't help but feel like that's a little bit of a weakness, even if, you know, the other film is I coming. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can talk shit on Spider-Verse after this. I'll, it's allowed. We're adults. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk shit. In fact, it's amazing. if you were an adult, you should probably be talking more shit about the children's film. Still, yeah. You know, think think harder. Wow, Dalton. Oh, I, I got agree. I got takes on it. Yeah, I just I was not. Oh, wait, mad yeah, at this you, movie. you got that's right. Okay, okay, we're gonna have to save this for off mic. Yeah, we'll a second. Yeah, yeah, because we did an entire two and a half hour long. Cup. I'm sure you did. Uh, and uh, you know, hey, it wasn't five stars across the board, and it, it honestly, almost all the problems were almost exclusively to the, <laughs> the the way they ended it. But let's talk about documentaries a little bit. Let's move on because there's a lot of great documentaries. Uh, I think they stand out this year. I didn't get to see as many as I wanted, but there were some really strong ones. So uh, real quick, I'll go around the table and, and Drew, I'll start with you. What was perhaps your favorite documentary that you saw from this year? Uh, I know we're going to talk about We Will Speak, so I'm going to mention Writing Legacy first, yes. I think. Um, really good documentary about um, Black Rodeo here in Oklahoma. Really well shot. Really fascinating people featured in it. Um, I just thought it was beautiful and I enjoyed learning. You, you kind of mentioned like not knowing a lot about that world. I have had friends who recently, like she traveled up from Dallas to photograph black uh, cowboys here and just don't really know a lot about it. So I thought that film was a really good window into that world and made me want to be more involved in it and just. Yeah and see actual rodeos here. So I interviewed the Keon Taylor on the, on the podcast mm-hmm. and man, I, 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 I probably sounded like such a dumbass. I was like, cause I was with you. I'm like, I don't know anything about rodeos, normal rodeos, let alone black rodeos, let alone the fact that this, the, the documentary and maybe you can elaborate. But my understanding is it's not just about black rodeos it's digging into like the history of the black cowboy mm-hmm. as it relates to rodeos, mm-hmm. a group that is like so wildly underrepresented. That the only movie I could come up with about black cowboys was the harder they fall, which only came out just two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they do get into that. They get into the history um, and how it's just been overlooked and they've just been here forever. And it's just, Nobody has put an eye on them, at least in the wider world. And I think that's one reason that this is a really important film and that I hope more people get to see it. Uh, yeah. Again, I, I don't think that one has distribution. I really hope it gets picked up, though. Again, it should. it's it's a it's a great documentary, very educational and uh, first film uh, yeah, for Kieran Taylor. Yeah, it's like crazy impressive first film. Yeah. And I just want to add 
damn, does that film have some cool montages? In it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, cool writing montages. Oh, so yeah. yeah, if anything, see it for see it for all the history of the education too. But like really, that they like, make it look good. It's, it's not just a boring. It's not just a boring like. And here's the history of this and how this relates. And here's some B roll of a regular rodeo. They like get in it, man. Yes. <sighs> yeah. 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 So uh, great shout out. Um, writing legacy. Uh, we'll go around the table, Dalton. Um. I know documentary is not your thing. Did you catch any this year? I was unfortunately not able to catch any uh, feature length docs, but I, I ca- caught a couple of short docs and some of the, the blocks that I saw. And uh, the one I want to shout out is uh, First Down, uh, which was part of the Proud Family uh, uh, programming that Lauren Chapman put together. Uh, these were these were sort of like queer centric family stories or family friendly queer stories, I, I guess is how you could frame it. Uh, and, and First Down is about an all girls football team uh, whose coach is a trans man. And it's just it's just so sweet. And especially at a time like Dead Center really took seriously that this fest takes place during Pride. Uh, at least that was the vibe that I got from the programming. You know, they, they really kind of tried to make that a, especially closing night movies, you know, being bottoms and fancy dance. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they, they really tried to ingrain that into the DNA of the fest. And at a time when, like, we have an internal migration crisis in this country because of yeah. bigoted legislation yep. uh, to remind people like, no, nah, no. Trans people are out here raising your fucking kids and trying That's to like right. instill them with like confidence and virtues and, and like make them feel like they can accomplish something in the world. Uh, really cool doc. Uh, and, and kudos to them for uh, for getting that championship. I'll spoil the end of the doc. Yeah. All right. What? It has a happy it ending. Has, okay. they, they lose and then win. It's great. It's, uh, it's Rocky right. one and two all at yeah, once. Yeah, yeah, it's Rocky perfect. one and two all at once <laughs> in a postscript. Yeah. And it's it's just it's just a really nice like short like 10, 15 minute doc about you know, just trying to like help kids who feel kind of left out of extracurricular activities and haven't really found a home. And it's yeah, it's really solid. Um, just want to take a moment. You mentioned Leron and uh, mm. uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll brag on him on air when he's actually at this table. But just want to say really proud of this guy. I feel like there are a few humans out there that are like more built to program a festival or programming block than him. Because he has a lot of the know-how from his filmmaking, but he watches so much stuff that he's got the film critic brain, and he's a very, just a socialite, so he knows tons of people, and like all three of those kind of combine together for a guy who just knows how to build like some really like he tells a story with the programming, right? It's not just like oh here's a bunch of queer shorts that we're gonna throw together into yeah. a, a blender. No, it's like there's a very there's a pacing to how he builds it out. Anyway, just want to say really proud of of him and um, Leron man. Uh, I'm going to say this again to your face, but congratulations. Um, you're doing a huge service to Dead Center um, by being Pride programmer, um, but just even being a part of our community. So anyway, that's up there. Uh, I, I didn't know we we're going to talk about some of the shorts blocks here in a little bit, but I'll, I'll shout out uh, Paris Burst, who I met through Alex this weekend. Yeah. Uh, who programmed, well, co-programmed, I should say. I forget who who they their co-programmer's name, but they co-programmed the Sinful Cinema shorts mm-hmm. and the comedy shorts uh with their co-programming and yes same with both of those blocks just All like an excellent well and an excellent vibe right mm-hmm. like it just like a, really well curated yeah, it kind of takes yeah. you through a mood and and like the stories kind of build on each other almost mm-hmm. yeah really great programming this year uh, for the short blocks it's just really impeccable stuff i think i'll go about the shorts too and we'll, we have a dedicated short section but i just like i feel like they get and it sounds like so cliche because i say it every year but like every year that i watch shorts i'm like Damn, these feel like they're getting better. The bar of quality just gets higher. It's a chance to see somebody really be like, let me make a damn movie. Right. Yeah. yeah, You really see somebody putting it all out there. And it's, yeah, really incredible work. Daniel Bokemper, what was your favorite documentary? Uh, I I have my favorite. Can I I just mention my like runner up real quick? Yeah. Uh, So Time Bomb Y2K. 
Um, it is a documentary um, made completely of archival footage from like 1993 to basically January 2nd, 2000. Great. And yeah. Great time <laughs> in America. It's, it's, yes. Um, it is really just like, I, I love going on to like YouTube and going down the, the rabbit hole of now obsolete technology and all the great things that people make about that, primarily using archival footage. This film does the same thing without even narration. It just creates the, it, it genuinely like recaptures that, that Y2K paranoia and that hysteria. It doesn't try to create a false sense of like, Oh, like we didn't completely solve this by early 99. And like it, like there wasn't really anything to worry about. Um, it's still poised into like how, despite that, the, the alarm that was raised to get all of these legacy systems, um, capable of turning 19s into twenties. Um, it's like a lot more than that because it's also how that that alarm became a paranoia and a hysteria that they could not unwind. So despite how many people you had throughout almost the entirety of 1999 screaming um, at broadcasters that this is no longer an issue, please. We have fixed it. Yes. Quit selling your homes and trying to live off the grid, but not living off the grid, just like pseudo off the grid. Like, I don't, that's the other thing too, is it's like there, there, you go through a lot of people who clearly did not put much, um, they put a lot of thought into it, but it was like more of like a guttural reaction, um, to, to upheave their entire lives just for it to be for nothing ultimately. And, um, there's a little bit of schadenfreude in that, but like at the same time, I think it does get that sense and get how dangerous that can become. And so it kind of shifts from being about Y2K to being about this idea of, yeah, uh, grabbing something that scares you and going with it to an extreme to where it, it just far supersedes what's actually happening. Um, so that one's really good. I also want to mention because we may not be able to talk about it too much is one of the, um, opening films, black Barbie, a documentary. Yeah. So, tell us about that. You just, uh, so you have a review up for it on the yeah. cinematropolis.com. And by the time listeners hear this, we have the, an interview with the director also up on the podcast feed. Yes. Yeah, so Gary Davis. And I, I do want to say just both that and two pieces on time bomb, YTK and black Barbie, but this film, it's just, I think necessary viewing for anyone, including myself who is excited and going to go see Greta Gerwig's. Uh, Barbie. Um, this film isn't something that is, and that's not to say you shouldn't see that film, but I suspect that film being a major studio film is not going to talk about the things that this documentary talks about specifically the existence of a black Barbie. And while there is still a prominent, I think they call her Barbie Barbie Brooklyn maybe is like the current, like black Barbie that Mattel has. It's how like quickly that idea of representation has kind of faded and now it's become this very clinical very like corporate like yeah dni dni and it's check like the boxes and this film features yeah. an interview with mattel's um dni his their like lead director of, of that and he's just not getting it like it's kind yeah. of funny to see how like detached and disconnected and then when you find out that the person who created the uh, it was a, a white dude that made the 40th anniversary Black Barbie like doll mm. line. And it gets into that. And it, it it's it's part a living museum. That's really nice. But then the second part of the film is just a genuine and really tough conversation about how necessary it is for the toy, even the toys we play with as children to reflect reality and to reflect us and to represent what life really is because if you don't you suddenly have you know black children especially there's a segment with a child psychologist who she is 
you know, just setting a bunch of Barbies, a bunch of different variants of Barbies with a bunch of different skin tones and like, which ones do you gravitate towards? And unfortunately, a lot of kids go towards the white pristine Barbies even now in, you know, 2021, 2022, when this was filmed. And it's, it, it just talked about how necessary it is for that representation and how those toys really shape us. And they're not superficial. They're not, you know, toys are mm-hmm. a lot more than just toys. Um, they are defining experiences. And I think it just captures that so, so well. So, but so it's also really fun. Well, I think, yeah. It's that's the other thing. It's yeah, like, that's the thing. Yeah, I think it's, it's the same thing happened in my interview where like you're talking about these really heavy topics. But it's like, actually, but the movie's super funny. Yes. It's like, super funny. Yes. The interview. So that's the other thing I want to mention. I, I really enjoyed about Black Barbie was they get some killer interviews. Like, this is as good an interview you can get about Black Barbie, uh, Barbie as possible. So they actually got the person who designed a uh, black Barbie kitty black Perkins as an interview uh-huh. in the movie. Dang. So like the person who like did the very first black Barbie designed it. And uh, essentially again, the director, I think it's, Le- <laughs> Oh man, uh, I got, I got her name wrong so many times. I'm pretty sure it's Legeria Davis, Davis and um, her aunt who she lived when she moved to LA that she lived with happened to work on the line at Mattel way back in the day and Whoa. then moved up the ladder basically as one of the first women of color to kind of move from the line to the offices. So she had like crazy connections to everyone at Mattel that no longer at Mattel, but she's able to get all these like really crazy, impressive interviews. And not only are they, they have these wild insights about all the processes and how decisions were made and why they were made, man, they are so funny. Yeah. Wow. It's man. It's good. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, black Barbie. I, not sure if that one has distribution yet or not, but I sure hope it does. It should. I can't wait to tell people. I think people should absolutely watch it before they watch Barbie, though. Yeah. Like, I'm so thrilled that I watched this because it's really going to color how I watch Barbie. I, I don't know if it's going to make me like the movie more or less, but it's just a new perspective to think about. Like, when how are they doing handling representation in the Barbie movie? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Joe, you had the chance to interview the co-director of the Best Oklahoma Feature Film winner. Uh, that is the a film that was selected by the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle. Uh, we will speak. Can you tell me a little bit more about the the film and maybe some of the takeaways you had from the conversation with the director? Yeah, this is another one that I would classify as like quote unquote um, an important film, uh, just because it's so unique to not only Oklahoma but Indigenous history and something that's very very current and now and very again important so i spoke with uh michael mcdermott who was super nice um via email and uh direct message so um learned a lot from him even more than i learned from the film and the film itself is about um cherokee tribes efforts to save their language um which is literally at risk of extinction um i looked it up on the Cherokee Nation website, and they say that right now there's a an estimated 2,000 first language Cherokee speakers with several thousand more, like, proficient or learning. Um, but that's not that much. It's actually... So I, a lot of them, at least the way the documentary tells us, a lot of them are kind of in the sunset years of yes, their life. aging. Yeah. Yes. Um, a lot of, like, grandparents and elders. Yes. So, especially during, they talk about it, in the film during the pandemic, they were really at risk of just like losing all of that, losing, losing the language, losing the syllabary, all of that. So 
And the language itself is very, very difficult to learn, um, especially if English is your first language. It's a class four language is how it's classified, which is up there with like Arabic and Chinese. And oh, wow. yeah. So, um, yeah, again, I just think it's a really important film, a really fascinating film, a really emotional film. And I think that that was one thing that the film does really well is that they and this is one thing that we talked about is is they find individuals who have ties to their communities, ties to their relatives. Uh, he mentions that one of his favorite scenes is the film is is with this artist and her grandparents and they're speaking Cherokee and, and just crying together because they're all so emotional. Um, yeah, so they do a really good job of finding those individuals and finding ways to illustrate the emotional needs and immediacy of the story while also peppering in like here's the historical importance of this. Um, going back to not only here in Oklahoma, but like North Carolina and sort of a little bit of tribal politics as well. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a really good, really immediate story. Um, they have this one individual who is in a class. So they see her in like her zoom classes, her graduation and they give her a camera at one point. She goes to like the the tribal birthplace of Cherokee in North Carolina. And she's just like recording herself. And it's very like raw and emotional. Uh, yeah. And and like I said, uh, Michael was just so kind to answer all those questions. They ended up having like West Studi come on as a producer later on in the process. They started the film in 2019, I think he said. So it's another one that they spent a really long time on. Um I also spoke very briefly with one of the producers, Laura Heberton, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, and again, super nice. Just everyone involved with the project seemed so grounded, so kind, so proud of their work, which in turn made me proud of it and just proud that we were able to showcase it here at the fest too. So yeah, passion, education, tribal history. I, I love it all. Uh, yeah, really moving documentary. Important. Um, one thing that, that it was interesting, they highlighted this is more towards the end of the film in which they have basically I think there's there's a lot of they interview a lot of people. But I want to say there's two, maybe three main subject POV characters they're following. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, we learn that like at least one or I thought two of them are kind of they're they're figuring out how to make uniquely Cherokee art. Like they, they're artists, mm -hmm. but they hadn't really thought about it or produced necessarily through the lens of I'm preserving our culture. I'm trying to amplify. They have one guy who's a musician mm -hmm. and then a, a woman who is painting. Although fun fact, this was funny. So I was at the screening. Uh, my fiance Lauren went, she didn't know much about the movie. I just said, Hey, I got to go see this. It's going to win an award. I got to present. You want to come? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And she actually, we actually have her some of her artwork in our house somewhere. What? I don't Whoa. even know. What she, yeah, she was like, she leaned over. She's like, I know who this is. I've met her before. The woman. I was like, really? And she's like, oh yeah, we have a mutual friend. In fact, I'm pretty sure we. I have some art hanging in our house. And I was like, no way. That's awesome. Yeah. So like they like when we went and talked to them after the movie, they recognized each other. I was like, this is bizarre. We just watched a documentary following this person. But that's awesome. Um, but, but I think the thing that was moving to me about that, I just have to say, like the. The role art plays in preservation. It's not yes, yeah. it's about the language, but also the the art and sort of inf the language informs the art. The art also informs how people remember the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the same uh, the same uh, woman also has to paint and 
she they have a school that they've they've kind of like renovated, dedicated to preser- preservation language. She has to like paint the letters on the wall, and that's mm-hmm. actually like a thing they come back to a few different times throughout the movie. Is kind of like a little touch point. Yeah, um, I guess that's how they met her, or she got involved. Kelly, mm-hmm. um, they they had hired her to paint that mural, and then through her passion and her art, they were just like come on, be a producer and, and be a focus of the film too. So that was how, it, that was like the impetus for her involvement. And so cool. I, I check it out um, again, West duty. If you watch a lot of movies and you've seen an indigenous person uh, in a movie, it's probably West studio. If it's especially with like the nineties and early aughts, it was probably West duty or he, you know, uh, he's one of the most famous uh, indigenous actors alive. Uh, House of cards, dances with wolves. Uh, the Geronimo, dude, uh, right. Hey, that again? Was he in drama? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Hostiles. Mm-hmm. Hostiles. Hostiles is so good. He was in... Uh, Arthur hates that movie. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. We got an episode on it. You should check it I out. I need to go hang out. <laughs> I need to listen to that. Maybe. We, we, sort, we really dig into that one. Speaking of like indigenous issues and westerns, you we know, really like that's debated fair. about what that one's doing. That's fair because I was not watching it with that lens at the time. Yeah. And I can, movie. I can see how. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of sidebars happening here. We'll get back to it. Anyway, we will speak. Um, it ended up uh, taking home uh, best Oklahoma feature again, and I, I think that's rightfully deserved. It was a really tough contest. I can just say I, I won't specify on the. I won't say the specifics, but I can just say it, it was very very close. But I do think the the can amongst the voters, sort of the. You said this is important. That was kind of the amongst the people who voted who I talked to. That was kind of the well, I had to pick between this movie and that movie. This one seems like it's really important. Yeah. So that that's why it ended up, I think, taking home. And uh, I hope it, I, I'm glad to see it's actually t- touring a number of other film festivals. So, again, look it up. We will speak. Uh, I think it's already got another film festival on it for this next weekend. So, nice. yeah, check it out. Uh, hey, real quickly, we're running way longer than anticipated. Uh-huh. Surprising day one. Uh no big deal. No big deal. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, short films. Do we want to talk about the short film? We have to. We have spent to, we so have much to. time at them. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> we got to talk about at least a few of them. Uh, all right, Alex, I'll throw it to you. Short okay. films. What was your favorite block? Uh, I think that I... It's actually a toss-up between the comedy block and the sinful cinema block. Yeah. I really... Uh, I thought both of those blocks were pretty, pretty much all heaters. And I was really prepared to be a comedy hater. I was really, I, I went in with my critics glasses on, mm-hmm. but I was really blown away. Very nice. Yeah. So when the comedian likes the comedy block, you know, there's some magic in there. There really was some incredible stuff. Uh, the highlight of the comedy, uh, uh, you know, which one I'll talk about. I'll yeah, talk about you go first, Dustin's. Yeah. yeah. I'll talk about. Uh, Family Circus, which mm-hmm. was Dustin's favorite, mm-hmm. which has got Michael Ironside as like the scariest cop ever. And it's like, Ooh, yeah, scary, it's like it's tense funny. Yeah, it, it's very it's very Cohen's funny. OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then my personal favorite, I we all like that one a lot is really good one to close out on. My personal favorite was Wheel. Uh, the yes. Taylor Lux one. Uh, and not just because I got to meet her and be starstruck. And yeah, she's so cool. She's very nice. Um, but uh, and, and yeah, I had a thoughtful answer to my question about mm-hmm. like, uh, the button on the on the short and uh, the, the the really good answer she gave was basically like you have to find the emotional through line of the short because then it's just a sketch. Otherwise, it's just a sketch, yeah. which blew me away. Yeah, I know it's something we thought about a lot this weekend. But yeah, this just this idea that you like it's a short film. It's not a sketch. And like you have to find a way to like close that loop and give a real like definitive ending to the emotional arc of the thing. And uh, just kind of talking about her and her co-star because she's the uh, 
director and co-star on the on wheel mm. and, and and listener just talk about her and her co-stars improv background and kind of that looseness to to find what the story is even about uh just really kind of was interested in their process and again like super funny but funny in a way that i it really it resonates with me where it's just like uh a comedy of manners type stuff mm-hmm. which is like people not knowing how to interact or like uh, specifically in this short, it's a, a person trying to submit their Wheel of Fortune tape and their friend's a casting director and they just can't get comfortable on camera. Yeah. She just cannot, has no, it's no kind of, naturalism it's, on camera. That's amazing. It's yeah. such so a funny. real thing for my, yeah. my day job, not to get too much in the weeds, but we often have to uh, both pre-screen people and then interview them who have never been on mm. camera and they may give like an incredible pre-interview or the person who's recommending them will like say how excellent they are and how like on paper perfect for the purpose of what we're trying to shoot and that when you get there and they just cannot hold it together or they yeah. just cannot seem to like like say the, the thing that you're about that everyone recommended you and they just they just can't get there it's just never it's just like they're just circling it and then they get close and then they <laughs> Like shoot far back, and it's like one step forward, two steps back, and I think God that film just captured yeah, wheel, that. Yeah, wheel sense. really does yes. that exact. Yeah, wheel plays second. that in a really funny way. So those those are the two standouts for me. But ones I know, besides for the ones I know, I, Alex is going to mention. Yeah, I'm about to talk about two other ones. We'll start with the other one that's in the um, two comedic actors trusting each other genre, like Wheel, <laughs> uh, which was Call Me Mommy. Call Me Mommy was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I really, really loved it. It's about a young actor who gets hired to play a woman's daughter from infancy to adulthood uh, over the course of like a couple of days uh, to get this woman ready for parenthood, basically. It's like a pregnant woman hires her and it's like, call me mommy, we'll do the whole thing. And it's the most intense pregnant woman in the world. She's just like, just like never blinks so stern so stern no sense of humor so funny just yeah. really really funny and they they bring it to a really good emotional crescendo at the end that really hits yeah uh and then the final like the button on the whole thing is roll on the floor funny dynamite yeah. is so the last thing that happens is so good i really really recommend that short um and then the other one i want to talk about is um uh, mud and gold or g- golden mud. It's golden mud. Gold yeah. and mud by Anna Fabrega, mm-hmm. who is someone who I had been familiar with some of her work already, and it has some of the people whose work I'm familiar with. Uh, uh, not Claire O'Kane, but uh, uh, Joe Firestone. Joe Firestone is in yeah. it. Brett Davis is in it, and it's about a um a doctor living her entire life. Uh, and so it's just like a, yeah, it's just like scenes from her whole life into the future. Uh, like it shows her on her death. It shows her like starting in her like twenties as a doctor and dating and getting into relationships and getting out of relationships and just like Mm. moments every like five or 10 years, basically throughout her life, getting married, getting divorced, going Mm. on the roller coaster trip. They planned by herself, getting married again, burying her second wife. Like it's so good. It's so good. So, and it's like mostly shot in close-ups on her. It's, only her face. You're, I, I say. I say mostly. Yeah, it is pretty it's much entirely. Just yeah, her yeah. face with other people's like bodies, like you know, I don't know the term. It's shot like over other people's shoulders. It, which uh, block was this in? Comedy, comedy shorts. Comedy, it, comedy shorts. Yeah. This is a comedy. It's so That's fucking right, funny. <laughs> it's really it funny. Like, That's I fucking right. <laughs> There's a line like in the very beginning where she's like interviewing a patient and she's like, "Do you have any med- medicine allergies?" And he's like, "I'm allergic to peanuts." She's like, "Peanuts isn't a medicine." Like, yeah, just like a classic <laughs> little bit of business. 
Well, and it, yeah, and it's just like when she's going to like go through her life and like, yeah, she's continuing to treat patients. And mm-hmm. then there's a point where she like pulls out like a fully robotic, like prosthetic. And she's like right. suddenly like, yeah, servicing that. And it I, goes into the future. Yes. And I will say that one, that is the only film because like every time you see like the dead center bumper and stuff, mm-hmm. you like see it and you're like, oh, I know that movie. I saw that movie. That's cool. That's cool. That one in the roller coaster scene where she is like bawling her eyes out yeah, on the roller baby. coaster. That kind of like mired the bumper because then I saw that. I'm like, oh, that's actually painful. Like that's yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> this. But yeah, no, it's such a great one, too. It's so funny. Her weeping on the roller coaster is one of the funniest. Yeah, things just screaming at her ex. It's yeah, so good. <laughs> it's really uh, good. Sinful. I want to talk about the one from Sinful Cinema that I really, really liked, which was because I know which one you're going to talk about. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about Campground. Oh, or, campfire. Campfire. Is camp- yes. Oh, I thought campfire. it was Campground. Thank you. Uh, campfire is the story of a man who it's not clear if he's closeted. He talks to his daughter and never mentions where he's going. So yeah. he clearly like has a kid, had a family, you know. Um, but he he goes to a like gay men's campground um, that it's that's who it's for. And it's been that way since the 80s. And he's there on a mission to find a man that he spent like a re- like a special summer with as a youth mm. where he like first found. Yeah. Yeah. He like worked on th- this guy was like a. Uh, yeah, a he was like a hand. farm hand yeah, on, on his, his farm. Ranch. Yeah, it was, God, insane. So I mean, sad. one of the most romantic things possible is to <sighs> fuck so a good. farm hand. Yeah, um, <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. yeah, and so he he shows up to this, and it's about him looking for this guy, and also slowly becoming more comfortable with himself as a gay man. Mm, yeah, and he, he's like a very like. He's kind of like, like you'd mistake him for a good old boy. He's really. like an older guy, broom handle mustache, built like a trucker. You know, he's okay. he's he's wearing like camo. Um, he's got like a full like camp set. He's like great at camping. Mm-hmm. Um, camping. And it's <laughs> it just it really like it's really emotional and really it's a perfect short. It's really great stuff. It's really, perfect really short. great stuff. Alex is taking all of my picks. So Sorry, I, I feel like, oh, no, you're good. You're good. I love it. But I do want to add, it's also a documentary. Yes. It is a hybrid That's documentary, right. and it does it so seamlessly mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. well. And it has, like, three little mini docs yeah. in it at the same time about the campground itself, about these famous pair of nude walkers, that, mm-hmm. this couple that uh, have been walking the campground naked. And, like, the way it just, like, integrates Blends. reality. Yes. It's, I've not – I've seen a few hybrid, like, documentary narratives – but nothing quite as like seamless as this one and so natural yeah. as this one. So. The only thing I've seen that's even close is Tag, which is not nearly as good. <laughs> <laughs> not the movie with Jason Bateman and Jerry No, that's Renner. the one he means. Oh, oh, oh. that's we what like I mean. Tag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Tag Defenders of Logged On. I'm actually a Tag liker, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I, did, I did watch it on Mushrooms. I want that to be true. So I'm, I'm a little biased, that, I think. Probably adds a lot of that's value. A it did twist. add a lot of value, yeah. Uh, uh, so Daniel, any other shorts you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, well, I know I do not want to take away Dalton's thunder. Thank you. I'm going to say, just as a preface, uh, Crush the Wrestler is one that was in the Cineful Cinema shorts. That is great. Um, but I'll let Dalton explain that one because the other one that I think I mentioned hardboiled at the top and specifically the 10 year stop motion animation project that could have been in comedy shorts, but I think out of necessity by its length, because it's probably the longest short of the festival, I would guess. I think it was like 28, 
30 minutes. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And it's it's yeah, a spoof of the police procedural, but everything's food and just the attention to detail, but also just how like some of the dumb, the the subtleties in it. The filmmaker brought this up and it was something that I didn't realize until the very end of the shot. And I was like, I wish I saw that sooner. It was like there's like things where like someone's driving a motorcycle and you get their first person view and their motorcycle has fucking wings on it. So it starts to like fly this this. This pork chop who has like a little perugula for a mustache is like flying this motorcycle. No, no, no. And there's and there's there's three gauges on the motorcycle. There's the speed and then it has the altitude and the top like the bottom right. The smallest gauge is machismo. And it's just like going off the rails. It's so good. And and it's just like so funny. And it it like it's like more honestly, like I want to kind of I don't want to like try and compare it because it's a little incomparable but like when i think of like bojack horseman i do enjoy that show a lot but like this film like got you immersed in that universe and got you to accept that like everything is food nice faster than bojack horseman did it and fascinating and and i think that's really impressive at the same time yes this was a 10-year project and you it shows like and and but in the best ways possible. And then i want to mention the one film that actually scared me in the cinema sinful cinema block at least slightly was uh Oh, it was a uh, trying to think of the director's name. Oh, I have it on here somewhere. Um, Joshua Amar and Anaconda. And his it's it's basically a, a film about paranoia. A college student. So is, wait, it's called Anaconda. Yeah. Not to be confused with the movie with John Voight. Yes. No, not. Okay. No, there are no actual snakes in this. Wait, movie. this was in Sinful Cinema? Yeah. I or not Sinful Cinema. Excuse me. Midnight Shorts. Oh, my apologies. Was say, Midnight Shorts. Wait a some, second. Some of them. There is some crossover. Okay. Uh, okay. I, 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 not not films that are repeated, but I'm like, I felt like this one could have gotcha. shorts. I got you. And Sinful Cinema, excuse me, no. Midnight Shorts. And it was the closer of Midnight Shorts. And it, yeah, about a college student who he's on like an online, like basically like whatever the modern chat roulette is. And, uh, you know, doing what you do on there sometimes and, and camming. And he basically gets convinced that he's been like catfished and that somebody has like been able to infiltrate his life. And it just runs through very quick vignettes of how his paranoia manifests. Cool. And he's like, oh, did this get uploaded to like, did a video of me get uploaded to Pornhub? Does like this person know who I am and is stalking me? Oh my and gosh, like, it's Bo is Afraid, but a different version. It, it is a little, <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit different, but it, it, ah, uh, it's so good. And, and I think just accomplishes a lot in a really short amount of time. And it almost like feels like akin to like, watcher a little bit but with Ooh, okay. a man at the center of it which is is i think a hard vibe to hit so i think that that's where it's like i don't know i just think it's fairly powerful for how short it is um but yeah that was Anaconda. my experience that's interesting and again i'll wait for dalton to talk about crush the wrestler because all right well well dalton uh, now that daniel's talked about that wrestler short film you want to talk about it i mean i want to big up sinful cinema shorts as a whole this yeah. is only the yeah. second year they've done this block and it's just i, I mean we spend a lot of time over on good trash like lamenting the death of human sexuality in american film yeah and like this block of shorts is just like so about it man like it's and and so many different like nuances of sexuality and with empathy with comedy with with every like lens you could think of the the shorts in this block like kind of tackle this i know you talked to jen harris who did she's clean 
That's a really funny one. That's also I like, really loved that one. Yeah, I wanted to. I know we all are big fans of that one, so I wanted to shout it's it out. It's great. I spent most of the interview that was supposed to be a 10 minute interview for like 20 minutes. We were just talking about why don't we just talk about sex like it's a th- normal thing that people right. do all the time. That was the whole interview. Yeah. And, and that was the short. It's like, yeah. hey, it's cool for middle aged women to have sex because that's what. But like, right, it's a human condition still women and they're still adults. Yeah, people. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like that's yeah. part of the human condition. Like, why don't we just normalize it? Anyway, that was the interview. A yeah, and that, that's a, like a really great blend of comedy and drama. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex and I both like Scotty's Vag a lot, which is like yeah. this college short about a, a, a sorority and like a little trying to find her big and sort of that fraught relationship dynamic and sort of like jealousy, jealousy, possessiveness, but like ambition mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. desire all like kind of like how all is this, this cocktail that yeah like all is just <laughs> cocktail, like sloshing together yeah mm. but uh, yeah my favorite is probably crush the wrestler which is one of the docs in the simple cinema shorts and it's about this dude uh who's been a wrestler since he was in high school and you know it w- grew up catholic and is a gay man and like those three aspects of I- his identity like kind of collide and he became this man crush the wrestler he cr- creates fetish content uh and it started out just like selling used wrestling singlets that he you know would model photos for and then turned into him making these wrestling videos that are not like hypersexual mm-hmm. and but he's like yeah yeah people get off to these and that's fine it's allowed yeah he's, he's like, like yeah. not a cop about it he's like <laughs> yeah. it's not like the the tickling uh documentary right like, this isn't porn okay right it's, it's not like, like that he's like yeah yeah yeah, sure whatever check off if you want i'm i'm cool i'm just making my stuff but do it do whatever you got to do man yeah but it's it's just like i don't know it's a really great intersection of just like gay men's sexuality or just like male sexuality in general because like mm-hmm. it's you know it's kind of i don't know I, a lot of people could be into crush's content and i sure. wouldn't i wouldn't limit who could be into it uh but it's also like the eroticism of martial arts basically is yeah. what it gets into. And that like really appeals to me. Like that's checks a Dalton lot of, subject. Yeah, it checks a lot of boxes for me. <laughs> uh, so I'm just like really interested. And he's just an interesting guy who's like really thoughtful about what he makes and like is a real artist. Yes. Like dude yeah. is a real and, artist and like takes what he does seriously and, you know, just loves wrestling. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Tickle because that's what this film short film captures yeah. so much is like, sure. this is a form of art. It's not. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot like Tickled and unlike Tickled, there's no shame. Yes. It, it's somebody who is like unabashedly living their truest life and, and having a great time. God, how liberating it is to even just to watch that. It just. Yeah. Feels yeah I want to so. go wrestle somebody right now. Yeah. Let's go, dog. Come on. <laughs> Just don't do it on this table. This table is <laughs> a lot yeah, of expensive equipment right yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Roll around in the yard. Yeah. Front yard's totally open, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll video it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay. Joe Light, <laughs> did you have any short? Do you want to wrestle? Did you have any short? Oh, short? yeah. I'll, I'll wrestle. Um, I want to just sidebar and say, like, I love short films so much. Mm-hmm. Like, this conversation makes me so excited just because I love that realm, I love the creativity. Um, further sidebar, I talked to an AFI filmmaker earlier this week. Her name was Julia Ponce Diaz. She's not involved with Dead Center, but I just want to shout her out because she's worked exclusively in short film right now. And one of the questions I was like, what do you like about short film? And she, she just was like, I hate short film. (laughs) She was just like, it's so hard. Like, it's so hard to make a short film. So to, to hear about all these amazing things that these filmmakers have done, it's just, again, it's just so inspiring. It makes me excited. Um, I caught the series shorts block, um, and one that I will just shout out was called Hangman. It was such a pleasant surprise because I went into that block fairly blind, and that one 
stars uh, people that really surprised me. Annabeth Gish, who was in Ooh, um, yeah. like Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, love Midnight Annabeth Mass. Gish. Yes, yeah. so good. And so I was like, oh, immediately, one of my crushes on screen. But then they show up at this house in the middle of nowhere in Texas, and Peter Stormare is there. <laughs> Playing a Texan. <laughs> I, I want to yes. watch that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. And huh. you don't really know what's going on, and they go into the house. It's it's her and another woman, and they're videotaping everything. And you start to learn that she, Annabeth Gish is this professor or, or doctor studying uh, murder and death, and they're there because he is an executioner. So they're interviewing him about you know sending people to the electric chair or doing lethal injections and. The setting is very weird and the conversation is very tense and he has like this lizard that he pulls out and is like on his shoulder the whole time. Um, and it was just a really tight, tense little short that, again, I just felt like came out of nowhere and I, I just loved it so much. Um, Writer-director Sam Upton. Uh, we'll keep an eye out for him for sure. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And that was just, I think, a great example of what a short can be in terms of – I. I Again, just going back to my conversation with Julia, like we were talking about how it's so difficult because you try to do too much sometimes or make it too big or or the story too complicated. And this was just like three people in a house having a very awkward and intense conversation. And the button on that short, again, I don't I don't want to spoil it. It was just like so tidy, so neat, so um, cathartic. Uh you don't see it coming, and I just enjoyed that short so much. So, uh, yeah, I see. I say, if you can find Hangman, watch it. Hangman, oh, yeah. Hangman. make a note. Hangman, uh, Joe, real quick. Uh, again, I know we're running long, so uh, for brevity's sake, but uh, you did have another piece that went up uh, where you interviewed two of the filmmakers behind the OK short film "Call of the Void." Mm-hmm. Uh, can you? Uh, so it was director Jack McDonald and cinematographer Todd Blankenship. Maybe yes. you can tell us a little bit more about that short and maybe some of your takeaways from the interview. Yeah, and I'll be honest that I I wanted to watch that most mostly because of Todd because I worked with him at No Film School and he's just a really cool guy and um, does such cool things with cinematography and that's really reflected in the short because it is it's a funky little short like slice of life, very tense moment in a religious cult so i i get by in there where it's like cults very interested um so it's just like a scene happening about a very important moment in a cult um but it's lit very beautifully they they lit the heck out of that short um it's by an ou grad i think it's i think he said he was a recent grad um so very local very new voice um and yeah, I just I just knew talking to Todd, I wanted to learn more about how they actually achieved it. They shot it on like Soviet lenses that I guess he refurbished himself. Uh, so again, Sick. just a really cool filmmaker. Badass. Um, yeah. yeah, and just knows what he's doing. So I was like, share your secrets, Todd. Um, and yeah, Jack was a really cool dude too. Just um, like I said, very young, very excited. Uh I think knew what he was doing and the constraints of doing like a thesis film for OU. Um, so yeah, just very exciting to see a, a new young voice here in Oklahoma. Well, again, that's another, I think the one way the shorts blocks provides a, a platform for people, really talented people in the state who maybe don't mm-hmm. have the budget. Mm-hmm. They maybe they're trying to hone their skills for a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, they can 
make a really badass short film. Yes. That, that one had a really, as I recall, I, that one has a really eerie ending too. Like it really like leaves you kind of like yeah thinking a they, bit. You know? And the reason it looks so distinct too is that I think they were aiming for it to look very hellish, like yeah. hell. Um, it it it. I guess technically is a flashback, the bulk of it. So you see like an older man reflecting on that moment. And then you go back to the older version of that character and you don't exactly know where he is or what's going on. So yeah, open ending on that one for sure. I like that one. Uh, so I have a confession to the script to make. Uh, I was very what? bad at watching short films this year, like <laughs> hey, really you know, bad. And I happens. hate it because they, all the blocks when I looked at them sounded so awesome. So that limits my answer here. Uh, I'm just going to give a shout. I did watch uh, the Oki Shorts blocks. Uh, there were, I think, 15. Theo and the 22? Huh? Theo and the 22? Theo yeah. and the 22? Was re- uh, that was really good. Shout out to uh, Caleb Vesley. Yeah. Uh, I was just trying to guess. I'm trying to, like, game, because I know your taste. Okay. <laughs> it was a good one, though. trying to game out which one you really are into. Well, hey, I did like that one quite a bit. Um, also, shout out to Zachary Burns, who, again, I know he has a directorial debut with uh, Hell Had No Fear, but he also had The Cultivation of Yield, which is a really cool documentary sort of about the making and planning for this uh, really um, powerful performance at the Oklahoma Contemporary. Um, and also, fun fact, all of the performers were outside of MOA at the opening party, so that was kind of fun. They were all handing out cards and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, I saw them. Yeah, okay. That was pretty neat. Uh, but, uh, yeah, really cool. Uh, I don't know, Zach, you're really good at making comedies, but, you know, uh, pretty good documentary, too. Um, good good times. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out. So the actual winner, and I thought this was a really impressive one, the external internal monologue of an interdependent insomniac. This is a really great self-interrogation of uh, you know masculinity. This is in shorts too. Yeah, I yeah, missed yeah. This one. This is the, the one o- that talks about this, the different smells of man musk, though, right? Yep. Yeah, Dustin was telling yep, me yep, about yep. this. He okay, liked this one a too. lot. Yeah, it was a really strong one. It had um, not only did I think it had like a nice rhythm to it because it's the idea is something we've heard before. Okay, uh, interrogating masculinity. I feel like we've been doing that in movies since at least Fight Club. Definitely further back than that. Let's say Fight Club, like twenty years, right? This one does it in a very short, succinct way. It's almost the way they edit it. Together, it's it's very almost like poetry, and they're really quick, snappy edits. And they they create a kind of craft together the music, the the delivery of the dialogue, and the visuals all kind of come together in a really powerful way. It, it's not necessarily poetry, but it kind of you, when you're watching it, it's got a certain rhythm where you're like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm vibing with what's going on here, and it's also just really powerful words. So, um, I you know, big shout out. I think the director, uh, writer, director, producer. Uh, Julian uh, Felix Aronson uh, was, uh, again, seemed, I don't know his story, but seemed like a younger talent, I think. And uh, I mean, if he can make more stuff like this, I think uh, he's got nowhere but up to go. Next year might have to be my shorts year because I felt like I really missed out this year, especially I'm reading Daniel and Joe's like... Uh, like recaps oh, yeah. there and I'm like, man, some good shorts. I really mm-hmm. wish I had seen. Hey, good news though. Uh, this kind of dovetails into a good closing. Some of the shorts, not all of them, but some of them are available on the dead center w- a website to pass holders because they like launched a whole virtual festival. So they didn't launch it up front. Like they had in the previous two years, like uh, come Monday morning, you can actually access a number of the films, narrative documentary shorts, all on uh, the dead center film.org website. Uh, Free to pass holders. I think you can buy 
virtual tickets or whatever. Yeah, there's uh, sadly not everything from the no, past. Not is there. Is Bunch Cowboys on there? No, no, but Crush the Wrestler is. Okay, well, all right. You yeah, watch that on your own time. Yeah. No, I, I definitely. I was like, ooh, could I watch Fancy Dance? Yeah. No, Damn. No. They don't get everything. Hell Hath No Fury is on there, though. So oh, I did see that. Okay. Yeah. okay. So uh, there's some good stuff. Not everything, but if you missed it, you might. It's if you miss something, you might peruse and just see if one of those films that we've talked about is on there, or if mm-hmm. there's something you missed that you want to catch. Uh, check that out again. Deadcenterfilm. Real quick, Daniel, did you like Pennies from Heaven? I didn't get to go to the Midnight Shorts, but I really like that short. Yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit too. Yeah. Um, I don't understand entirely why it was in the Midnight Shorts. To be honest. Yeah, should have been in the comedy block. I think, but it still fit kind of well, and I also just like that 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 chaos demon energy that the the two lead twins bring I the meshki twins are the geniuses twins. yes they are so good and sandy honig from three busy deborah's directed it mm-hmm. it is so, i really like that short yes yes especially the the that the ending that somehow mm-hmm. harkens back to like the grapes of wrath it's so it's so fucking yeah, good. yeah. yes but so, uh, i did like that one i haven't seen that one but i did read the synopsis for it and it sounded baller it's so funny it is so funny mm-hmm. their energy is I, I've never I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. Pennies from heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, check it out. Mm. Uh, all right. So, you know, I budgeted an hour for this podcast. We, we <laughs> just we just hit two hours. I knew so, Dalton was here. Okay, I've no. never done a podcast with him under okay. two. I so. know. Yeah. I, I, I've, uh, I've never come to Caleb's house and been here for less than five hours. Listen, this is usually the light short episode we do once a year. But, you know, there's five people. You are all we lovely all people thoughts. with great though, with great thoughts and commentary. So, you know, I'm happy with it. But also, yeah, we should probably should wrap it up. So with that said, is there anything else you all would like to say about Dead Center? Any other filmmakers you want to shout out or any other films you want to mention or acknowledge uh, before we wrap up? I have a couple more things to say about Bottoms. Please do. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We haven't even gotten to the Bottoms thrashing. Yeah, it's time to talk about Bottoms. Uh, My thing is that uh, more than uh, like a pair, I think that it is a a high school movie that takes place in Paul Verhoeven's America. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you fuck with Verhoeven, Alex pointed this out. They're, they're always saying things like, we're going to kick the enemy in the nuts. Oh, they yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, our enemy is going to get fucked by us. Yeah. It's all this like hyper heightened, like jingoistic, like the intersection of sex and violence, which is where America lives. Like it is very Verhoeven in that way. Yeah, it's it is a bizarre movie. And I. I think it's like really anchored by the A.O. Debris and Rachel Sennett's like kind of fabulous two hander energy. Like mm-hmm. A.O. is so sweet, so innately likable. And Rachel Sennett is so innately evil. It's awesome. And they just mesh together so perfectly. It's because it, my my worry about the movie was that like Rachel Sennett is too hot to be convincingly a loser. Mm-hmm. But you can be a loser if you're hot, if you're mean enough. Mm-hmm. And she is in the movie and it's perfect. Yeah. 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 She's. So mean. it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really walks right up to the line of it mm-hmm. as mean as you can make a character without fully pushing it over the line of yeah. like them being an unlikable person. Yeah. 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 Really fine line. And I they managed to do it pretty well. Yeah. I am now when I watch Bottoms, I'm just going to headcanon that this is in Paul Verhoeven's America. I mean, I'm serious. You're you're going to absolutely connect with this. I feel like it's going to like up the quality of my experience rather of the movie. It will pretty greatly. I, it makes that. me. I, when we started talking about that after the film, it made me want to watch it again. I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to catching it when it uh, has its its um so it's wide release. It I think it's August. August. There's yeah. so much stuff to catch on a rewatch. Uh, a lot of the announcements I missed on the first uh, one. A lot of the posters. A lot, a lot of, of yeah. details. Posters, yeah, and like funny stuff on the chalkboards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
any high school movie that features football players and they literally never take off their pads. No it's matter so the situation, <laughs> no matter the context, yeah. they are in full so gear. Funny. Yeah, and like Master Chief. Well, <laughs> exactly. Yes. And uh, there is a moment where, uh, not to not to get too into it, but there's just one moment where where one of the teachers he's very disappointed. He's the sponsor of the Fight Club, and they do something that he he becomes greatly disappointed in them. And it's the, just this short montage, but there's a moment where he like has feminism written on a chalkboard and he just fucking crosses it out. And then under it, it's like why every U S president was a white man or every U S president was a man and why that should continue to be like, it was just such a dumb. Sean Lynch is so funny. Yeah. As a teacher, (laughs) just like a guy going through a divorce who cannot muster a single shit about the school. It's (laughs) It's really funny. I mean, to that point, like the awkward stage really shares a lot of DNA with this movie. I in agree. A weird way. Uh, I agree. So oh, we didn't talk it? about the awkward stage. We haven't talked about the awkward stage. Uh, I forgot. That is, I guess that's the fifth short we, or yeah. fifth uh, narrative we saw. Now that's yeah. a movie about what it's like to live in America. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, so yeah, tell, so me and Daniel have, have talked about it already. Uh, what'd you guys think of the awkward stage? I like it. it uh, it's weird. And, and I like Vibes that about movie it. For sure. I don't know if it needs to be longer or have more plot, but it, it needs something to fully push me over the edge. But it's the first choke movie that I've seen, and I was a big fan of of it. I can't wait to check out Ten Killer and mm-hmm. see their next feature. Uh, really, really curious about their career and, and what they continue to do because I think I think there's something there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good exploration of the way people lash out and make their own meaning in a decaying system that does not care about them. Yeah, that is a movie about America. Yeah. Man, when you put it that way, I was thinking through the lens of middle schoolers, but that's even more specific. Yeah, and I like that. Um, yeah, I think whenever I was talking, to, so I, we caught this one early via the OFC screeners as well. And um, I really, I really like the the vibes, the setting at a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it is a listen. You don't go to this movie for a plot. It's really no. not about the story. Nah, nah. It's about from my experience. My take on it was, I need to be in the head of a middle schooler who is growing up in a decaying mm-hmm. United States. What is their experience? They're literally in a school that is crumbling. Mm-hmm. And it's set, they, in the interview I, with them, I talked, uh, they talked about how they they had a very hyper-specific moment they wanted this to take place. And it's not clear mm. in the text of the movie. But basically, it's that time period right after kids had to start going back to school and middle school mm-hmm. and in the pandemic, before they, but still before we figured stuff out. You know, right. like, so people, that's why the kids all had masks. They didn't have to do that for the filming. They did it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was the setting. It's like, hey, why are these masks all weird? Do we have to wear them? Uh, some of them are wearing them. Some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. Some, some of them are wearing them wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teachers don't care. Teachers don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely a vibes movie. Like you said, Alex, like that's kind of how I was pitching. I was like, you go in and if you're if you're trying to like feel the movie and feel what it's going for. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot yeah. of um, good. There's a lot I took away from it. If you're going for a coming of age story or anything like that, it's it's not really no. got the goods. No. But, th- but that's okay. I don't think it needs to. I, I think yeah. it's doing point. something else. Yeah. Doing something more abstract. Absolutely. Uh, really fun Mickey Reese sporting <laughs> role. Yes. Yeah, Mickey's uh, really funny in this. Dirtbag teacher. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Mickey's so good. at. I mean, like, listen, I know we can. His movies are one thing, but also he's so good at acting. <laughs> I know he hates it too. He I know he does so much. He's so good at it. It rocks. <laughs> I know he gets a lot of love in the local scene, so we don't need to belabor the point. But I really liked his short condo. Yeah, that, that played in the oh yeah the block one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really shouts cool. out Mary Bus featured in that one. One Very of Oklahoma's nice. most beloved actors and best. Absolutely, yeah. We had Mary Bus on the show. Uh, the star of uh, Strike, Dear Mistress. And cure his heart. And cure his heart. Thank you. 
She's um, an angel, dude. She's one of my very so favorite nice. people in this city yeah. by a huge margin. Yeah. Man. She's so nice. It's unbelievable. Like over the top. Yeah. I love it. That's the other thing I love about Dead Center is you get to meet people or see like the, the thing is like everyone here is working so hard to like make good art, but also be like nice people. Right. It's not necessarily I've been to a lot of film festivals. That's not necessarily the case at every film festival. Sure. So what? I, yeah. Joe, Joe's probably been to more film festivals than me. Uh, you know? So it's, so yeah. it's like not yeah, always. Right. It's a thing. <laughs> I cost us 20 more minutes. Continue. No, no, you're good. You're good. Uh, well, any other closing thoughts on Dead Center this year? Can't wait to do it again. Glad I get a whole year before I have to. I would That's... do it again next week. I, I... <laughs> yeah, what do we got going on? Yeah, come on. What am I busy? I'll do it again right now. I had a great time talking with a lot of awesome people. I feel very privileged to do that. But also, I'm like Dalton. I'm like, this was so much fun. Yeah. Loved it. Let's do it again in a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh well um listeners uh thanks so much for joining us today uh all of you at this table thank you so much for your contribution to dead center um daniel and joe thank you so so much for all of your written work you did at the cinematropolis and coming out this evening dalton and alex thanks for being down to come and do a little crossover episode Mm. inviting me on to your show uh at dead center as well Uh, it was a good time hanging out with everyone go around the table where can people follow you in your work alex uh, hello, my name's Alex Sanchez. You can find me. Uh, I, I do stand-up shows around here sometimes, you know. We'll see what the scene does. Uh, but I can be found on Twitter at Sirius Sanchez. is where I do most of my posting. Uh, but everybody loves to get in touch with me on Instagram, also at Sirius Sanchez. So you can find me there, too. I'll do my best. Instagram. I don't think visually. I don't know how to use it. Instagram. It's the new Twitter at, this, point, at this point. Oh, yes, the posts are different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm having, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a seeing, words guy. I know, but if Dalton can pick up Instagram. Yeah. There's hope. I'm trying. I'm trying. Oh, you're doing, you should see this boy sling a story. Yeah. He's been crushing his story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're too sweet. No. You're too sweet. Daniel Bokemper, where can people find you online? Can I level with you, Caleb? Yeah. I'm just, I said it for I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm just ready to be done with this pretentious fucking podcast. <laughs> and I can't so wait for us to pull our fucking heads out of our asses and actually start talking about real shit and about real movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah man. when are these yahoos going to talk about a Batman movie? Hey, God. listen, guys, we did. I, this, that review had a point. We did skip Transformers Rise of the Beast to talk about Dead Center. Oh, so, you, you know, you bastard. I think it'll be fine. I would talk about Rise of the Beast. I would. Yeah. I would, I would talk, talk about which uh, Toby Wigway tracks you should start with. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Uh, see, now I might, have to, I might have to do a podcast on that. But anyway, go ahead, Daniel. But uh, yeah, uh, besides that comment, please uh, find me on the Cinematropolis. Uh, a lot of my Dead Center stuff, uh, a review of the Awkward Stage, as well as the Midnight Shorts, Sinful Cinema, uh, Black Barbie, a documentary, and Time Bomb Y2K. Uh, you can also find me at flickattack.com writing reviews, as well as World Literature Today, writing about books. Uh, but wherever you find me, um, yeah, just search Bo Camper, spell it as best you can, and you'll fucking find me, I think, so... <laughs> Guys, Daniel's really good at writing words. Just going to say. I do do the words good. (laughs) Dalton Stewart, where can people find you online? Uh, You can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm Dollywood Squares. I'm Dollywood Squares on Letterboxd, but you're going to have to drop the A because of character limits. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, but I'm not going to give you that handle. You're going to have to find me because I'm not really using it anymore. It's a bad place. It bums me out. (laughs) It's a bad place. Uh, Functionally, it's not even just like toxic. It's also becoming functionally a bad place. But anyway, continue. No doubt. Uh, You can uh, find me every single week over at the Good Trash Genre Cast talking a a new movie or not a new film, but new to us on our coverage, uh, usually older films. 
Uh, but it was really fun covering Dead Center. If you want to hear me and Alex talk with Dustin uh, every single night and sometimes in the middle of the afternoon, uh, again, it's good trash genre cast. Uh, we're getting ready to take a break from movies. Gee, this, is a, this is a little programming tease. We haven't even announced this on our Ooh. show. Uh, last year, we did a, a top 100 to kind of celebrate our 10th anniversary. So we did like a five part countdown at each of us going over our top 100 films. We're going to do another countdown <laughs> this summer just to give us a little movie watching break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to do uh, two, four different top tens. Uh, we're going to do our top <laughs> 10 favorite directors, our top 10 favorite TV shows, our top 10 favorite actors and 10 films we would use to teach the 90s. So oh, that'll that'll be our programming for uh, July. Yeah, so stay tuned for that over at Good Trash Genre Cast. That is a fun series. Thank Sh- you. Check it out, man. I love that. Plus, it gives you a, an, another platform to talk about TV shows, which I know you're also passionate about. Yeah, you know, not as much as film, but I think about it pretty hard still. You know, I, I don't follow it as closely, but I definitely try to give it the same level of critical thought. I'm glad I'm going to come. Listen, you talk about the wire. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gee, I wonder. I wonder what this white guy in his thirties is going to say is the best TV show. <laughs> hey, man, it's a good one. Joe Light, where can people find you online? Uh, I guess I am still on Twitter, Joe underscore Lightly. Um, my letterbox is Jojo Binks one. Um, I really that's love so that. Good. That's so funny. Joe, that's yeah, incredible. I really love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just updated my top four. Go check them out. Ooh. Um. Writing-wise, Cinematropolis, doing interviews at No Film School again. I just did um, several TV interviews, editors of Queen Charlotte, sound team from Last of Us. Yeah. Cool stuff going on. Just drop that in subtly, the sound team from The Last of Us. (laughs) They were really nice. Yes. That's good to hear. The Last of Us people who tell stories about the apocalypse are very nice. They were. I love it. You'd have to be. Yeah, that's actually, that's, that's a fair point. Joe. I fucking love the ritual, dude. That's like so such good. a cool movie. I just, yeah, I yeah. just added it. That one cool in the, uh, sorry, sidebar, but that Strangers movie or the Stranger movie, both on Netflix. You can't find them anywhere else. Okay, I don't know the Stranger. I highly recommend. Okay, okay, I'll check quiet, it out. Quiet, quiet Australian crime film. Ooh, yes. okay, like that. Everyone watch it. It's so good. And of course, I do love Pearl. Yes. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, I think there was some highway robbery at the Oscars last year. And yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah, into give it. Give me a Mia Goth will get her flowers someday. <laughs> one day, absolutely, she's crushing it. And hey, she's got another one of those in the trilogy of Maxine still coming down the pipeline. That's right, so that's right. is that this year? Next year, I think, I think it's it. next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listeners, you can follow the Cinematropolis, all the Dead Center coverage, tons of interviews with filmmakers, tons of great essays and interviews with Joe and Daniel. TheCinematropolis.com. Uh, we also have, uh, we did it across the, got buried under all the deaths in our content. We did do Across the Spider-Verse, a very in-depth review about that film. Lots to talk about there. Uh, don't listen to Dalton. It's it's definitely at least interesting visually. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's just ideologically Oh, man, I cannot wait to talk to you about this after we're done. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all C Masters Talk. That's Letter C Masters Talk. Frankly, I really, I'm proud to say I'm taking real strong baby steps to actually stop using Twitter. I've actually, 
I don't think it replacing one addiction with another is good, but I have been on Instagram like much like don't hey, know more. And it's it's gotten me off of Twitter, so it's good. I know plenty of alcoholic who swapped it out for cigarettes and coffee, and yeah. it works great for them. And yeah, switching to Insta has been a, a nice smooth methadone for mm. getting off Twitter. Yeah, it's like it's dumber, but it doesn't make you want to die. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this very extensive deep dive into all of the Dead Center stuff. Dead Center 2023, amazing. If you want to learn more about the film festival, uh, either the virtual film festival that you can access and buy tickets to now or next year's film festival, find all of that at deadcenterfilm.org. We'll be back, as I noted at the top of the show, with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That is going to be the episode will be released the week of July 17th. But until then, enjoy the rest of your summer, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, don't go driving your motorcycle off a cliff until after you've seen Part 1. Uh...